Hey everyone, welcome to We Weren't Friends in High School, the podcast where I reunite with high school classmates from my graduating class of Wissick High School in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm Brad Corbett, class of 2001. I want to thank Jessica Ignon for a lot of content over the past month or so, episode 204 and our Facebook Live conversation from June are all available on the podcast stream in the archives and on youtube.com slash playa for anyone that still is catching up. It's like a lot of content with Jess. And um, when we got into it originally with the with the high school podcast, we never really imagined that we would have a, a, another need to come together for another show. But unfortunately, you know, the world is the world. And so... We, uh, we pumped out some great content, and I'm really proud of the conversations that we were able to have. And I'm really happy with the feedback that I've gotten from so many people, classmates, uh, people just in my life, and people in Jess's life, and complete strangers. So again, thank you, Jess, for sharing your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. And I think pretty soon Jess is, is going to be ready with... Um, releasing some long-form content. So I'll make sure I, uh, I keep you guys updated when that is available. I mentioned YouTube, but of course, facebook.com slash WWFNHS. And on Instagram, we weren't friends in high school. This week, my guest is Leslie McNitt, a.k.a. Leslie Weber. Leslie is a admitted super fan. Um, and I've been talking to Leslie on Instagram for some time now uh, about complete randomness on anything from, you know, the primary debates to her favorite episodes on the podcast. Leslie uh, reaches out pretty often just on thoughts of different guests and different topics that we hit on. And most recently, I've actually done some happy hour Zooms with my bestie, Alicia Conti and Leslie and some of their best friends that you'll hear mentioned in this episode. So I wasn't going into this conversation completely cold with Leslie. I knew where Leslie lived and a little bit about what she did and had a good sense of her personality, but I hadn't had the chance to have a one-on-one conversation with her. And this is going to be me pretty much cheesing for the entire interview. Um, We laugh a lot. We curse a lot. um, We literally talked the entire night. And I think I came out of this interview with, I can say this, I came out of this interview, I think, with like a new grown-up crush. So before I embarrass myself uh, more, more, <laughs> let's go to my conversation with Leslie McNitt, a.k.a. Leslie Weber. So do you have rules of engagement? No, for this? How does this work? <laughs> we just, we're already in it. Okay. We just start talking. I'll ask okay. you questions. You can respond however you want. Um, if I ask more, if I want to ask more questions, I'm going to ask you more questions. Do you send your subjects and like your cut, your editors cut before you air it or no? Nope. I've only, really? I've only sent it twice ever. Okay. One was to Holly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've listened to every episode, so I know that whole story. And- I'm like a, I'm a, um, I'm a, I'm a regular, I'm a super fan. Well, you know, what's funny is you were like, you're probably the most constructive critic criticism person that I, that I have like 
like you actually message me about like stuff you think for the show or Brandon does too. Brandon's pretty good, but, but yeah, you often like, you know, like the other day you were just hit, whether it's good or, or I don't want to say bad constructive, just since the beginning, you constantly like, just let me know what you thought about the show. So. I really like it. I love that you do this. I, I love figuring out like what makes people tick. And I'm so interested. I mean, I like deal, talk to people for a living. Like I, I'm really interested in what makes other people tick. And I love getting to hear other people's perspectives on high school. Like you guys bring up in your interviews so much stuff that like I just like have totally forgotten about. And I've got like my husband listens to it and he did not, he went to high school in the Philly area, but he did not go to our high school. So like, he's just, he thinks you're a great interviewer, but he's just like, he's super interested and he doesn't like know most of these people. So I, it's, it's kind of cool. That's one of the bigger compliments for me when, when people who I know, but I know didn't go to school with us. And I, it's not like, you know, these aren't my friends. So it's not like a long list of, Oh, you know, so-and-so that I've mentioned before. It's just, you know, and then people message me and go, Oh, this about that. Like they pull out these details that were personal to them, that they knew exactly what that guest was talking about. And maybe I didn't even know because I can't, I couldn't relate yeah. to what they're saying, but like, no, I lived, my dad was like that, or my parents were like that, or I went to this type of a school or whatever. So that's always cool to see the reach. I think I've learned like at least one thing that I have in common with each of the people that I didn't know before I listened to the episode. And it just like makes me realize how insecure of a time high school is for everyone that it's like, you know, I remember my mom being like, literally everyone else is going through the same thoughts that you are and being like, no, there's no way. And really like we all, I think we all had our hangups and just like thought it was easy for everyone else. And that's super revealing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the more and more I do this, and sometimes there's you revert back to these old feelings. But the more and more I do this, the more I see comfort in knowing that it's okay to tell the story or, you know, what I mean? just that the fact that people to embrace a feeling that I had, knowing that people had these feelings themselves or problems with self-confidence or just to put a story out there and to know that as a grown up now, it's not something well, we'll see now that these are going up on YouTube, but generally it's not something that like people are going to like, ah, or, or get at you about. It's something yeah. that, like, I don't know, this feels like a safe space. Yeah. And well, and we're also like removed enough and we're all adults. So I think it's kind of like, we're not, you know, we have enough distance from it where I feel like, I don't know, I don't hang on to too much from high school, but I also don't have the best memory. And I had, I've really like had a good high school experience for the most part. So I look back on it very fondly. When did you come into Wizzahickon? So I came in in fifth grade. My family lived in a suburb of Chicago. And so um, when I was 10, my dad got a job in Philly and we moved that summer before fifth grade. What's what uh, elementary school for fifth grade? I went to Bluebell Elementary. Okay. Who, so I, I feel like my memory of you starts the summer of seventh grade. Really? Yeah. Um, and I don't think I knew you were in Wizzahickon at that point. Obviously, uh, summer of sixth grade. Um, okay. 
like before or after? After. Before? After. after. Right? Okay. You went to you went to the Lower Gwinnett camp, didn't you? So you said that in a uh, maybe it was the interview with Tom. Yeah. And I totally forgot that I went to that camp until you said that. And I think I was in a play or something. Like I remember being on those big steps. Yeah. The LG, the LG. Yeah. Yeah. But I like totally, I think I probably erased most of middle school from my memory because I, middle school was the hard part for me. Like middle school was really hard for me and being a new kid in fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And then like going through that process where I felt like, okay, I was from the Midwest. So I was like different. And I feel like in the Philly area and in our school district, a lot of people, it's like, their families literally like came off the boat and they ended up in Philly and then their entire extended family was within 20 minutes of each other. Yeah. So literally like everybody had known each other since preschool. And I was like this weird kid who said like pop instead of soda and dressed a little different. And I was super insecure about it. And like, we were all starting puberty and I was like an early developer. So I had that whole thing going on. and the boys in our neighborhood like made fun of me and I just like had these bangs and I felt like the most like tall, awkward, not fitting in person in the world. Right. So then I finally like figure fifth grade out at some point, I guess, and had friends. And then we all go to middle school and we're all shuffled into pods. And a lot of my friends from Bluebell were not in my pod. I was in B pod. So I think like Melissa Morgatan was in my pod and she was, I'm trying to remember who else. I thought about this the other day. She was one of the only people in my pod who had come over from Bluebell that I was like close friends with. Okay. So that was like uh, two years back to back of major adjustment when I was feeling like my most awkward and not fitting in. So like, I blocked out most of middle school, but we, I guess we did. Okay. So go back. Sorry. You were telling me, so we went to, so we went to summer camp together. Yeah. So I remember, and I, there are like two things I remember. I remember you, like your name being called out in seventh grade and in, in the very beginning of seventh grade. Um, oh, you had seven B. So did you have, did you have eight A? I was in, no, I was in B in sixth grade. In seventh grade, I don't remember. Oh, were you in B in seventh grade? You had Mr. Foch? No. No. What about I Mr. remember Mrs. Amen was my homeroom teacher in sixth grade in B-Pod. Ashley McLaughlin and Christina mm -hmm. McDowell were in my class. And we became friends. And Ashley hated Mrs. Amen. Um, and seventh grade... I can't remember who, what, what pod I was in. I think I might've been an A in eighth grade. I have to think about who I had Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson. In seventh grade. I think I might've had him. Or is that eighth? Both years. I was in really advanced math classes in oh. middle school. Yeah. Oh yeah. I did algebra in seventh grade and geometry in eighth grade. Jeez. So yeah. <laughs> and then that was like the last time I was good at math. And like, I, uh, I had Mr. Johnston, I remember, because I had a huge crush on him. Did you have Mr. Atkinson at all for history in eighth grade? Tall, glasses, goatee, kind of young. I'm him. I don't think so. I think I Mrs. was in a Evans, Mrs. Evans for English, the blonde. No, okay, I was so, in Richmond. 
So I can't even place this story then, but I thought I can almost see myself like in Mr. Foch's seventh grade class when I heard your name said. And my two memories of you are that I knew you from summer camp hanging out with Caitlin Kelly. Is that true? Is that am I with you? Caitlin Kelly. Yeah. So Caitlin Kelly was on my school bus. She went to Bluebell too. And Caitlin and Natalie Cooner were best friends. And Natalie and I lived down the street. And Natalie was my first friend when I moved to Pennsylvania. And she's still like, we're still really close friends to, to this day. Okay. Um, and she's like one of my lifelong besties. And she uh, lived right down the street. And so she and Caitlin were best friends. And I was like, not, I was like a third wheel, but like Caitlin probably like settled for me because Natalie didn't go to camp with us or something. She, her parents probably sent her to some like nerdy science camp. And so, yeah, that would make sense. That would track. And then the other, and this is a total, just a me thing. You know, like when you're younger, you like just relate things that aren't the same, but there's one similarity. So as a kid, it's like, oh, it's the same, right? Two people have glasses. They're like, look alike to me. Yeah. The only other Leslie in my life that I knew was Leslie Burke the tall blonde from Saved by the Bell, the college years. Oh, who was like one of the girl roommates? Yeah, it was like Zach's love interest when it wasn't Kelly. It was yeah, yeah, her. before Kelly transferred there. Yeah. I yeah. watched all the Saved by the Bells. Like, I think I like, my expectations for my life, my, my young life were pretty informed by TV as well. I really like identify with you on that. Yeah. So when I would Romantic- hear like- Comedies have destroyed every girl's ability to be constructive in a romantic relationship. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. See, I would have thought you just said that it was that I was half Jewish. No. Yeah, because we have that in common, too. I, don't, I, I don't, we all know everyone else who's kind of Jewish, right? Run down the list. Who's in the tribe? Well, it's funny because um, sometimes when I talk about, like, when I talk about my religion and, and not knowing or not going to any bar mitzvahs, Sometimes people will reach out to me and go, you know, I don't think I ever went to any bar mitzvah or any bat mitzvahs. And then they try and think, like, I'm trying to think of, like, who I would have been friends with to get invited. And then we just try and think of all the Jewish people together. Yeah. I think Corey Leshner's was the only one I went to. And I, like, I grew up, like, we celebrate all the holidays, but Mm. we don't, my mom's like a hippie. So she thinks, like, she's like, let's go for a hike in the woods and pray on the high holidays. Like, she thinks the organized religion's kind of BS. And my dad's like a, Catholic, but we never grew up going to church and synagogue, so we just like did every holiday. So that's I actually identify more with Judaism as an adult and like culturally, but I still don't like. I'm just not super observant. That's uh, that's more or less how I was raised. Like I went to synagogue like four times in my life, and uh, my mom never forced me to go, and my dad was like celebrate whatever. And so my mom, my grandfather liked my, my Jewish grandfather loved celebrating all the holidays. And he was, he was remarried into him. And so it was a mixed marriage at that point. Uh, and so Easter and all those, he just liked anything that were family would come around. And so yeah. that's what like every holiday essentially was in my house growing up was just a place for family to get together and eat and drink. Yeah. Well, and like, I, I love Jew food. And I love that Passover is like making you drink. Like I, I, we host Passover Seder a lot at my house. So, and I, I think like for me, it's the cultural identity and the traditions more than anything else. And, and, um, so I, I consider myself Jewish for sure. My, 
my little two-year-old daughter goes to JCC preschool and she's probably the most observant Jew in our household. <laughs> and it's really cute when she runs around yelling Shabbat Shalom. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it was a, like a long, I don't know if you had this, but be like, I feel like because you're also biracial and I'm not right. Like I felt like even being in an interfaith family was a pretty novel thing back when I was growing up and it, people were confused. And like, I, we moved three times throughout my childhood and mm -hmm. each community that we lived in was completely different with respect to like diversity. Oh. And so it was a real, like it caused, uh, <laughs> like not an identity crisis, but I struggled a lot with figuring out my identity around um, around religion, I think when I was growing up and I'm curious if, if you had that, or if that was just sort of like part and parcel of also being biracial and coming from two different backgrounds or altogether. I think all, of, I, I definitely had hangups about being Jewish and I think they all came from being biracial. I have such distinct memories of walking into synagogue on the few times that I went in clothes that I would never wear in a, in a synagogue and like I make this joke but like it was me and Lenny Kravitz like there weren't black Jews like or biracial Jews it, I, I knew a couple of biracial people maybe but like to be black yeah. and Jewish I felt like I was seeing stranger kids the kids I knew from like a distance kids that maybe I was in the same Cub Scout troop with but not in the same den and so like kids that I would see like two times a year and like they're over there and I felt like they would look at me and not go, oh, hey, Brad, Brad's Jewish. That's what I kind of wanted from, from kids my age. Yeah. And it wasn't that I and not that it was even anything negative. I just felt like it was in my head. It was what's he doing here? He's probably not even Jewish. Why would he be here? He's black. Did you feel like people like had their heads like on a swivel when you walked in? Like I often was aware of like the way that white people, I would wonder if white people were wondering what was I doing with yeah. all these other white people in my family. That was I, a common thought of mine. I've always felt a little bit like imposter syndrome walking into a church or a synagogue and nobody can look at me and be like, Oh, she's definitely not a hundred percent Jewish or she's definitely not Catholic, you know? And, um, I do, I do feel like Jews are more, welcoming of diversity um generally but i can't imagine you know literally like wearing like i'm 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 the other than a whole entire group of people on my face like i know what it, it felt i felt that sort of insecurity enough mm. that it's gotta have been like much more complex for you yeah you know and i have like very uh vivid memories of like acceptance from specific people or, or being able to share that commonality with people growing up. Tara Cooper Smith is one of those people that in sixth grade, I remember doing a report in Mr. Falatex class about someone that like you admire or something like that. And, and I did it on my great grandfather who um, I've told the story before on the podcast who came over in like 1908 and he's on the wall in Ellis Island and started his own butcher shop. And I remember yes. Tara, because my grandpa is the, my great grandfather was the same same yeah. freaking story. I totally I remember it. You did. I think he said that. I think he messaged me after when I told he, that story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But in Chicago, yours was in New York or Philly, right? 
he came to Philly, yeah. But he but the, yeah, he went to Ellis Island and then came to ended up in like um um Jenkintown area. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. I did message you about that. Okay, so were when you were growing up, were you obsessed with the Holocaust too, or was that just me? No, I didn't know what I didn't know about the Holocaust. Okay. Um and probably because I didn't identify with a lot of Jews. And so, you know, talking about Jewish history was not something we did. My interpretation was drinking vodka. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I, that's what my family did. We ate fishes and we, and we drank vodka. And to me, that was like what being Jewish was on an everyday, you know, on a holiday or whatever. Like that was my interaction with Jews. They get drunk and we would eat bagels or, or brisket or, yeah. you know, we didn't talk about history a lot. And that is definitely something that as I became a, a teenager, I started regretting. And it was my, it was my dad's dad, my black grandfather, who talked about the importance of knowing your history and where you come from. And, mm. and I remember at that time feeling like a very distinct missing part of my brain and my culture and not knowing and. I think still to this day, wishing I could speak Hebrew and. Yeah. And I, like, I never went to Hebrew school, so I can't really speak it. I, um, you know, I know like some prayers from doing them over the holidays, but right. like, yeah, I never had that educational component. I took courses in college on like, um, the history of women in Judaism and stuff like that, you know, and I had like a lesbian female rabbi who was totally badass, right? And like, just like really um, made us kind of ask a lot of questions and push boundaries and stuff like that. But no, I didn't have a formal Jewish education either, um, which I think all my friends who were in Hebrew school, not that there were a ton of them, but a lot of them were like, yeah, like you're lucky, it's all good. But I was very, very interested in the culture and very interested in um, uh, learning about our history because it's just, I don't know, I, super uh, oppression filled and fucked up. And I, my mom was just like, um, I don't know. She just, she made sure that we learned about it. And I was like that weird little kid that like wanted to write every report, you know, in social studies on the mm -hmm. hawk and would read every, like I was really, really into it. Um, and so that was like actually really formative for me. I think the first, when I, before we moved to Illinois, we lived in Kansas city Wow. and we lived there until I was four, I think. And I didn't know, we didn't know my mom is from, so my mom's from Chicago, so the, from Chicago. My dad's from like rural now suburban Wisconsin. So they grew, they had very wow. different ringings. Yeah. They're like really, they have very different backgrounds. Um, dinner table discussions in my family growing up are very different. My mom's a Democrat. My dad's a Republican. Wow. Like, yeah. Like when he brought her home, when they started dating, like most of his family hadn't met a Jewish person. And when we lived in Kansas city, when I was like three, one of the neighbor boys who I played with told me my mom was going to hell because she was Jewish. And that was the first time I experienced anti-Semitism. And I think at that point, my mom was just like straight up like, yeah, there are going to be people who hate you because you're Jewish, even if they don't know you. And you're going to, that's a reality in this world. 
and it's not okay. And um, she was just, I don't know. I think that's kind of like how those conversations started in my family. And she was really straight up with us about inequality and injustice. And, you know, um, I was, yeah. So that's how I became the kid that was like obsessed with the Holocaust. So then we moved from Kansas City to a suburb of Chicago that was like almost all Jewish. Wow. All, it was like all my family was was in the Chicago suburbs on my mom's side. There I wasn't Jewish enough. I can remember one friend from my elementary school there who wasn't Jewish. Two, sorry, one, two kids, two kids. But almost all of my friends were Jewish. My family you know, in that situation, it was weird because my dad was um, very loved by my mom's family, but still like he couldn't be whatever the Jewish equivalent is of being like a pallbearer when my great uncle passed away. He and my dad were super close, but because my dad wasn't Jewish, he couldn't like be a pallbearer in his funeral. And I remember thinking that that was really messed up and unfair. Um, there it was kind of like I felt a little bit judged because we weren't we weren't Jewish enough almost. So then when we moved to the Philly area, it was like a little bit more of a balance, but most of my friends were Catholic, I would say, in our area, a lot of um Italian and Irish Catholics. So I knew who all the other Jewish kids were, or in your case, like all the other half Jewish kids like me. Like I remembered that, you know. So did you know I was Jewish back then? Yeah, that's like the only thing I like wow. really remember knowing about you from high school. Wow. Yeah. That's why yeah. I can't. I remember you in high school, but I don't. Um, that's one of the things that I like really remember. Um, so when you got to when you got to middle school, I know you don't remember much, but just as far as I don't know what kind of kid were you? What? Were you getting into what kind of, what was fun for you? Did you do sports activities? Um, I played softball. I think I played other sports too. Like I went to tennis camp with Julia Preston in the summer. Hmm. I played like, I had played recreational soccer. So I think in school I did softball. Um, I was friends with like people who lived near me, you know, like I was fr friends with people in my neighborhood. Was this Bluebell? Um, sorry? Was this in Bluebell that you lived? We lived, no, we lived in Lower Gwinnett. Okay. So we lived in the neighborhood like between um, 309 and 202 off of like Evans Road. So Gwinnett Knoll was my neighborhood. Everyone so, lived off of Evans Road. Yeah. So I was like, fr I was friends with Alicia. Yeah. I was friends with Katie Eveland. Um, one of my best friends in middle school was Rebecca Elwer. Yes. The curly hair. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was, I, I had a love hate with Tom Scuderi in middle school. Okay. We became really good friends in like eighth grade and into high school. But, he mentioned, um, he mentioned that. That's how we kind of started talking about you in his yeah. podcast. What he didn't tell you is that when we were in middle school, he and Pete and those boys used to leave um, dog shit on our doorstep and light it on fire. And then like, so I, they always, they like teased me mercilessly, but then, um, we became friends like when we grew up a little bit <laughs> and I used to like ride to school with Joe and Tom. And then, um, 
you know, when Joe graduated high school, like I feel like me and Tom and Natalie and Uma, since Natalie turned 16 before all of us, I feel like we would ride to school with her and then we'd take turns and then like eventually everyone got their license and got their own cars. Mm -hmm. But we carpooled in high school for sure. Um, and I, yeah, yeah. So I, <laughs> so middle school, like, yeah, we all just kind of, we had a lot of people in the neighborhood and it was fun. And, um, so I remember like riding bikes and hanging out with friends. I think like, I was like, a lot of my friends were like dating and I wasn't, I was taller than all the boys and I was like super like nervous. And so I wasn't dating too much, but I think we were pretty boy crazy. I think that was like when we started like talking to boys on the phone and stuff like that. So I remember that. Um, but yeah, I played softball that and tennis. Softball was like really, I was really into it. Do you feel, because you, you mentioned that you weren't really there yet, but as we were like through middle school, do you feel like it was like, I always felt like it was a kind of advanced sexuality. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's been one of the things that for this podcast that I, I, I bring up from time to time when people talk about, but I felt like at an early age and because I was, you know, I liked, I liked Saved by the Bell and 90210 and these kind of like advanced teen dramas or, or, you know, 20 something dramas or whatever, that was the kind of, it was kind of bolstering that idea for me. But then I would come into school and then like, you know, you're hearing about people doing this or doing that or, you know, and I was like, wow, it's just like in TV. Yeah. And I, it's funny because like, I've always, I like have a potty mouth and I talk super openly and like make a lot of like jokes and I curse a lot and I talk about sex. Like I'm, I'm um, very inappropriate and I like always have been. And so I think that people thought that I was super experienced when we were in middle school, but like, I don't think I even really kissed a boy beyond spin the bottle until I was like in eighth grade. Like, uh, boys were not interested in me. Like I was not, you know, I was like tall, big nose bangs, like not cute. And I was not confident at all. So I was like super defensive and like, that's how I remember myself in middle school. And so I kind of was like, they're not into me. Like I'm just like, whatever. And a lot of my friends were dating. I think people just assumed that I was like, you know, there, but I was not. Um, and so there were like a lot of rumors about things that happened at parties and like some of them were true and some of them weren't not about me, but just about yeah. like people. But I do think that our grade was really advanced. And I think the, I mean, like I definitely tried alcohol and pot for my first time in eighth grade. Like I think, mm -hmm. um, people were, um, had a, in our grade had a lot of them had older brothers and sisters. That's and top so that's a big reason for it is they just like saw what their siblings were doing. Mm -hmm. And it was accessible. Yeah. You know, a lot of it sounds like a sibling shared. So yeah. Yeah. And here, <laughs> I, I was in here. I was an only child and all of my friends there, they were the oldest of the, of their families. So I'm the it, oldest too. Yeah. It wasn't for me. It wasn't until I got to college and had like much older friends uh, 19, 20, even then I wasn't really into it, but like, Oh, I'm going to a party. I need a bottle or I want to have like three bottles of my own to have. If I want to have drinks, 
like I started doing that at like 20. But all yeah. until that point, like it was over my head. I caught up, but like in middle school, I I did feel like things were really advanced. I I was not, you know. Was it you went from like fifth grade and then to sixth grade? So you, you're kind of shuffling friends and you've got friends in the neighborhood. Was that what became your friendship throughout middle school and going forward were the people that you live near and their kind of attached friends? Or did you actually um, build like real relationships in middle school in the later I years? Real relationships in middle school, but it, I always kind of got along with everybody. Um, I never felt like I was just solidly in one clique of people. Like I became, I had been friends with like Alicia, Katie Eveland, Melissa Morgatan. Um, I know that there are people that I'm going to leave out because I just have, and up Natalie was like my very close friend, Rebecca, like I, um, Oh, there was, um, Alisa Brancato who didn't go to our high school, but she went to our middle school. She lived like off of 63. Um, I, you know, I was able to kind of like float around different groups. Um, I became friends with Krista Ramirez, like in seventh and eighth grade, I became maybe in eighth grade, closer friends with like Rachel Moydell and Adrian O'Connor. Um, but then like, we really didn't become super close until high school. Um, I was friends with, I was good friends with, so Melissa Morgan played softball. I think Alicia did. And I was good friends with Lauren Hilton um, through softball. I think Christina played too. Christina McDowell played in middle school. Like I said, you know, to this day, I, oh, Brooke Johnson, when we were in all the way back to Bluebell, we were friends since fifth grade okay. and we're still in touch when she responds to her text messages. Um, that. an inside joke, <laughs> but yeah, like I think that, um, you know, Rena Lewis, like, I think that I became, I, I formed my friend group in, um, I was became friends with Tara Cooper Smith. Um, I think I became probably didn't become good friends with Lindsay Barley until like maybe eighth or ninth, eighth grade. Same with like Colleen. Like I think I formed my friendships throughout middle school, mm -hmm. but um, who I hung out maybe the most with changed over time. And um, yeah, so I, I'm really trying to just remember that um, it's, you know, it kind of, it kind of changed, but I always felt comfortable with a lot of different groups of people. I guess one of the theories that I kind of have is, and it does sound this way when people list off names, is that it seems like, and I call it the cool kid crowd, right? The popular kids, that the names all kind of seem very, and kind of like what you said, like you could interchange between who you're hanging out with or, or like through different years, different people. But it did seem like, like all of those names in general to for me, like from the outside, we're all interconnected into one big um, group of friends. Did you feel like, do you feel like you had a, I don't know, do you feel like you belong to a certain clique? Or even if you were, even if you were jumping from group to group, did you feel like that, that group still belonged to an overall clique? Or did you truly feel like they were separate engagements? I mean, I think that the pods dictated a lot of clicks in 
in uh, middle school. Yeah. Yeah, I really did. I felt like it was so such a weird structure. Um, it, it was just, I mean, it just seems like a, it was just a weird structure. And then I, I was always in enrichment classes too. So I got pulled out of some of the classes and like went to like a couple classes and, um, or like those like weird math classes. Like, <laughs> so then I, you know, like I was not in, I didn't have some of the same experiences with like some of the teachers that everyone like loved too. Like, um, you know, uh, oh God, we were talking about him. He was the teacher in high school there. You were talking about him on another podcast. He was a teacher in high school. Curcio. No. Yeah. I never had, I don't think I ever had Curcio. Yeah. So, and I just freaking loved him and I was so jealous, but I'll tell you who I did have that does not, that I don't think has gotten a shout out, but like profoundly shaped me and my worldview. Mr. Quimby. Mr. Quimby. Yeah. The name's familiar. He but taught I can't... enrichment. He uh-huh. taught like enrichment social studies. All right, let's talk about enrichment for a second. Okay. I'll see if I can like remember. <laughs> I'm just curious. You know, I I always knew enrichment from like growing up in in, in elementary school where okay. like kids were in enrichment. Um, what goes on in is enrichment different than like like is enrichment in high school as well? That's that's also enrichment. Yeah. Is yeah, that- but it was grouped. Uh, it was grouped two years together. And it's different than like AP classes. Yeah. What is it then? What is enrichment? You all like microdose LSD and talk about your, what you're, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> it was like, I know it. <laughs> it was, yeah, no, you missed out on like a great deal. Um, <laughs> That's my next podcast. <laughs> I, yeah. It was like, I wish I, I guess it was students were identified as needing more of a challenge, maybe. I think it was more relevant in middle school and elementary school when like. There's one class. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't, I I remember being like, it being like we would do more like rather than it being like social studies in English, I feel like it was a more like holistic approach to different issues. And like, you could take a deeper dive on things. Um, and you know, I guess they say like, you remember, you don't remember what people say, but you remember how they make you feel. I remember how like I felt in enrichment, which was really challenged. And I remember we had a lot of open discussion and we were really encouraged it was not like rote memorization. It was like examine a subject, read, like have discussion, like be prepared to have discussion or debate about different things. And I, what I loved about um, Mr. Quimby is that he would really push us to consider how people outside of the U.S., would view us or would view a world event based on their information, their culture, their circumstances. Wow. And push us to look at the world and try and put yourself in another person's shoes. Empathy. A hundred percent. And just to understand that like, you know, things are not black and white, good and bad. Like it's all a matter of all of these different 
things that shape culture, history, you know, access to information and education, like all these different things shape your worldview. And if you can't see someone else's, mm. you're going to be really limited in what you can understand and how effective you can be. And he really, I think it challenged a lot of students. And there were probably students who will look back on him and think he was a dick because he made me feel like stupid or he made me feel like my worldview was limited. But he was really trying to push us to see to see um, a bigger a bigger world than the one we inhabited, and he made a p- profound impact on me. It just it feels so apropos in our in our current yeah current I, world that we're living in. I feel like I, I gotta look it up real quick. I'm like I'm like trying to find the cues. Um, I think it was Randy Quimby. I'm trying to remember. He had a beard. And mostly balding, he had like a like smirk that he did all the time. And I feel like he wore a lot of like sweaters and sweater vests. I went back at one point after he graduated to like to tell him how yep. Yep. Awesome yep. he was. This guy was the shit. You know him? Yes. He was a smart ass. Wow. I yeah. This guy, I used to like slide like high five in the hallways or something like that. And like. I don't think I had him for a single class, but we used to just like shoot the shit in the halls. And I can remember walking in the new D wing hallway with, and like just, and he would just be like Bradley or something like that. We used to be like Mr. Quimby, and like he'd give you like a like a brother handshake and like just yeah. one move. And that guy was the boss. I, I knew more about his like background because he was just so cool. But he also would like he would really push you, but he he'd make you dig deep, right? And he like wanted you to think differently. He wanted you to challenge your opinions and like, and defend your opinions too. And I just like, I felt like that was the coolest learning environment. And that was not every single enrichment class, but I did feel like it was really critical thinking oriented and discussion oriented. Um, I don't, you know, um, I think that as you like, there were there were CP honors and um, AP classes. Like, I I don't remember if I did enrichment in eleventh and twelfth grade. I don't know if it was offered. I know it was ninth and tenth were together, and you could do like enrichment English and social studies. I think as like a block or something. Hmm. But then I remember taking um, AP English with Mrs. Spies in maybe eleventh grade. So like, I don't. I, I, again, like, I don't remember the details, but I remember it being really cool. And I remember Mr. Quimby being like my favorite teacher. It sounds like the vibe of like a college course. Kind of. Yeah. You know, to anthropology, like I love taking anthropology and sociology mm-hmm. classes at Temple and, and because it, it involved just kind of group thought, a group table discussion, conversation debate obviously I like talking so you know anything where like the answer isn't just no I love something like that where you get to probe and ask questions I mean really what this is you know asking for people's perspectives and and how we kind of start when you first connected just talking about you like to hear other point of views sounds like that's it started with Mr. Quimby yeah and like I don't love confrontation I really don't um I like trying to find common ground and if you can under try and understand where another person's coming from and empathize with why they might have that view, you know, you can find common ground with like pretty much anyone. 
Um, and that was just like to develop that skill and that like inclination was super cool. Those are the type of things that I wish existed more when we were growing up in a general education sense. I wasn't in enrichment. So what you were talking about with memorization, those are things that I asked someone else, um, how did you study? Because studying was, was really, really hard for me. I think it was I, Ryan Dunn. What's that? I think it was Ryan Dunn who you asked that. That sounds right. I yeah. love this. You're my historian. I, I, I'm your, yeah, I'm your like archivist. <laughs> and I wore this shirt on the Ryan Dunn podcast. <laughs> Ryan Dunn was, Ryan Dunn was super smart. Also Jewish. He is also Jewish. I know that was, that was your favorite episode at a time. I don't he know. Loved it. Was. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it still is now, but cause there's been, there's been a lot more, but more. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, taking notes. And even to even now, you know, I, I I do a wire podcast where you know we just talk about the wire every episode, and I have to take notes, and I'm like you know bullet pointing, and now I do it more from a sense of like just jogging my memory and and talking points that I want to hit on. But back then, I, I didn't know that I didn't know how to create an outline of a and a Roman Roman numeral one, and then a and then one and then little a and just reciting what the teacher was saying or copying it off of the the uh, projector you know those things were like impossible for me and yeah. so for conversation-based education for just interpreting knowledge would have been so much more helpful did we have like a study methods course in high school like there are so many, I feel, okay, so one, I wonder if enrichment still exists because I feel like with standardized testing and so many, so many metrics now, I wonder like if they, there's even space for an enrichment. And I feel like it, if anything, education has to have moved away from even that model, right? Which I think is also way more interesting and stimulating. Yeah. But second of all, there are so many things that I feel like high schools should teach. Like I have a magnet that says like, I'm so glad I learned about parallelograms in high school because that it comes in handy every year at parallelogram filing season. Like I don't fucking need to know about parallelograms. What would be nice is like how to do my taxes, which my, I outsourced to my husband, but like how to do my taxes. You know, I think in one class we learned like probably enrichment, learn how to like write a check you know, how to budget, manage personal finance, mm -hmm. study methods. Like we had study hall. What if God forbid we took 15 minutes in study hall and talked about how to actually fucking study. Like, nice. I think I learned all that shit from my parents, but not everybody learns that from their parents. Like, why wouldn't we learn some character building stuff? Like, why wouldn't we learn some of the basic, like how to function in the world as an adult? Yes. In I addition to calculus which i have never used i've never used any of that stuff the only time i've ever had to come back across that stuff was and this is a little tie to you i think right you went to did you go to gw yeah yeah so i applied to gw for a master's program because which i want for public policy i wanted to take public policy like yeah. um where are we at right now we're in 2020 uh -huh. This was over a decade ago, probably 11 years ago. I wanted to move down to DC and go to GW and take public policy. And my uncle is a professor at UVA. 
Okay. He was like, you know, talk to this lady. And she was like, you got to take the GREs. So I took the GREs. And at first I studied, study, study, study my ass off. I learned like 300 new words, but I didn't study any math because I go, ace calculus. I'm good in math. Like I'm good. And I couldn't remember sine and cosine and tangents and the, the Pythagorean theorem. I couldn't remember any of that stuff. And so I killed the vocab and I bombed and I did pretty well in the writing and I bombed on the math and I didn't get high enough to get into GW. So first of all, you fucking blew it because if you had done it, you might've been in class with me because I went back for my master's at night and I did the school of media and public affairs. Was that what you were looking at? It's, or no, yeah, is it, no, that's not it. SMPA, no. No, the GSPM, Graduate School of Political Management. School yes. of Media and Public Affairs was the building that it was in. And that, okay. that was where public policy was housed. I don't know, stuff got moved around. I did the part-time master's in legislative affairs, which was in the GSPM program. So I had to take the GRE too. And remember when I said earlier that I took algebra and geometry in middle school? I had to hire a college kid to tutor me to reteach me all that shit. So I could get a decent score in the GRE. And then the other fun fact was, this is such a DC, like networking is everything. I knew a guy who knew the dean or one of the, one of the major like professors in the GSPM. And you could get some forgiveness and all that stuff if you had relevant experience that you could translate into your application. So I think I had like almost enough experience where my shitty GRE scores didn't matter, but I did have good grades in undergrad that helped me. And I, and I was working for a lobbying firm at the time. So I think that that like all helped me get in, but if it was, I couldn't commit to a full-time master's program because I didn't really know, like I basically got a master's in what I did. So like to go part-time and not, and like the student loans weren't too bad compared to if I had done like an MBA would be like probably times the price. And I would take a two or three year break from my career and all that shit. So if it was like a public policy, like full time, it's a bigger commitment and probably a higher threshold to get in. But my program was like a night program. It was very practical. Like, no, I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to go back to school. Like I, I was Oh, at, you wanted full time. Yeah, I wanted to. I think at the end of the day, I wanted to try to combine. It was after I left WWE and I wanted to combine my film degree with something in politics, something that I was like genuinely really, really interested in pursuing yeah. content about. And that was at the time, especially was politics, you know, 2000. Obama. I know, I know a person you should talk to if you ever want to go back. <laughs> and now I don't think you have to, to be honest. I can just, I can just like turn, you know, as soon as we can be around people again, I just need to turn a camera on and start going to work. But what I really kind of wanted to do was like be a documentarian for a campaign or, or something like that. You know, like I thought that would be super cool to, to follow, like, you know, a, a, a politician around and, and, this is a horrible example. Like the Wiener documentary the <laughs> that ended up coming out. But when they started that, they had really good intentions when that thing started. But, you he know. He's walking on a monopea. Do you remember learning about that? Like, he is his, like. But the doc is so good. And I would have I loved, watched it. What's that? 
I never watched it. Oh, you never saw it? Uh-uh. Oh, I like, can't. Like, that is too much for me. This is the trap of the podcast, Leslie. For a while, I've been. And so, full disclosure, like, it's weird because you and I have actually talked a few times now because yeah. we've done, um, I've been invited to some Zooms with, uh, with you and some friends. We haven't done one of those in a while. You didn't get voted off the island, by the way. We just haven't done know. one in a few weeks. Were you wondering? <laughs> I don't take it. I don't take it. I, sometimes I wonder when, you, when, I, when I get invited and then I, I come in and like someone's in the middle of a story. I don't know. Sometimes it's like, hey, we just want a little girl combo. Not, we, don't, we don't want Brad hanging around to listen to everything. No, you're good. Um, but so no, I, don't, I didn't take it personal at all. But so we've, you know, we've been having some conversation. We've been talking for the past few months really since the quarantine kind of started around here and and so you know we've been talking about this or talking about just life but before then knowing that you were you know in dc and in in politics and all that and you would comment on you and and Susie would probably be the two most vocal about some of my instagram posts during like debates and stuff oh you have the best debate content man so, you know, just seeing just seeing what you were involved in and knowing what I wanted, I kind of like from afar, I stand a little bit as far as like, oh, she looks like she's really having fun. I really like, you know, I kind of like like the, the world that she seems to have built for herself. So all that to say that this is a bit of a trap for the podcast, because anytime we start to get into anything political, I just want to keep going and going with you. And, and keep yeah, because I've been wanting to talk about all this stuff with you for a while. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to school. Let's go back to school. So we're in high school. So we get to high school and you've got like a group of friends, um, a mixture of people that you kind of had connections to and people in the neighborhood. Um, did things get like easier for you as far as socially with, with guys? Yep. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't think you're, you're not like anyone that I ever like remember being in the rumor mill or hearing about you, you know, dating guys. I don't think I, I know about really like your, your social life. So here's what happened. I stopped growing and the boys all grew. <laughs> and I also think like, um, I don't know. I think eighth grade was like, I felt more confident in my friendships and relationships. I had more guys that I was friends with. Mm. And so I just like, wasn't, I didn't feel as insecure and awkward. Um, And then when we went to high school, like there were, everybody was adjusting and everybody was figuring it out. Um, I think it was really in the beginning, I was still trying to find myself, but so is everyone else. And I think um, I, being in enrichment and we were in class with people in the grade above us too, I started to get to know people that were older. And then there were four grades of guys that I could date. Because you know, all the older guys are looking at like fresh meat, right? So um that was where it was kind of like, oh, if I like a guy, they might actually like me back. And that was the first time I ever like considered that was probably freshman year. Mm. So it got easier. And I'm, oh, and the reason you didn't hear any rumors about me is because I'm a serial monogamist. Oh. 
So I had like a, I had a boyfriend most of sophomore year, all of junior year, all of senior year. So I, I wasn't like dating a whole lot. I was in like pretty long-term relationships. Um, Different guys. Yeah. Those each year. Yeah. So like I would make out with some guys and, in freshman year but again like I wasn't dating and I wasn't making out with a lot of guys in middle school so I feel like you didn't come in with a reputation yeah and I also didn't come in with a lot of experience where I was like I wasn't one of the like early ones to like I you know experiment and try a lot of things mm-hmm. um and then uh yeah and then I dated guys in different grades and then by senior year I was dating a guy who didn't go to our who was in college like didn't go to our school didn't go I never went to our high school so um you wouldn't like they're just nothing to talk about me weren't that relevant I'm curious like I don't I don't I don't even know like what my reputation was like in high school I fear that maybe I was viewed as a bitch hmm why? Because I'm a bitch, Brad. No. <laughs> kind of. I'm kind of a bitch. I like to think that I'm a bitch equally, but I just like don't. Um, I don't know. Because I actually, because I'm actually like, can be really shy. And also because I just like put it all out there. So I'll, I'll, I'll dress someone down if I think that they're. I could be a bitch and I'm like proud of it. Well, did you, do you feel like you had any confrontations in school? Only like with my friends, if we were like fighting over clothes or something stupid, like, you know, petty girl drama, but no, not, I always think that I tried to like avoid controversy and try and like get everyone to get along. Hmm. But I know there was like petty high school girl drama. I distinctly remember having a screaming match with um, Nicole Silver, who was in the grade above us. And we were really good friends. But we got into a fight about something prom related because we were dating best friends who were two two years above me, one year above her. And she was in enrichment, too. So like we became friends my freshman year. Sophomore year, I started dating uh, Chris Fisher, who was a senior. And she was dating Chris Kulik, who was all Katie Kulik's older brother, who was also yeah. a senior. Chris and Chris was like really close. So we got in a fight about something prom related. And I remember like screaming at each other in the like late to class, screaming at each other in the hallways. And teachers like coming out of their classes and being like, ah, like screaming at each other. But that was such a, like, the only reason I remember that is because I feel like it was a pretty isolated incident. Right. And then, like, literally, like, didn't talk. And then we went to prom and, like, we're like, oh, my God, I love you. It's so good. It was, like, fine. Like, we squashed it. But that's, like, one of the only, like, I don't remember having a lot of confrontations. So I think I was always trying to kind of, like, go along to get along and keep the peace and like not piss anyone off too much because I just always wanted to be friends with everyone. Hmm. Makes sense. Um, so then I guess as you're like, as you're going through high school and you're, are you dating guys in all out of your grade? 
growing, uh, going up? Mostly out of the grade. Yeah. So yeah. what is, what is like the dating world like then? Like in high school at that point, I know nothing about the world. So all I knew are like our stories of, of people would rumor about. Like what were dates like? Yeah. I never knew like what, I wouldn't know what to do with a girl because one, I didn't have like a group of friends that all dated. Right. So yeah. like, you know, I've heard of uh, some people like Tom talked about, you know, you, you do group dates and, and yeah. other people like you go to, you know, I think even Tom said you go to movies and other people talked about that. I'm a, like you, you go to movies and with groups or like there's parties, but like I didn't have friends that did that. So for me in my head, like I would have had to actually taken a girl on a date. Was that your experience or was it more of a group dating? More group dating, especially like in the, I think Tom talked about it was like going to the movies or like going bowling and then like people would like kind of peel off and like make out. So if we ever talk, I think that I didn't figure this out until I went to college, but if we ever talked about hooking up with someone, it was like a makeout sesh. It was, it could be a range of things, but it was, <laughs> did not mean sleeping with someone. Right? right. And then in adulthood, a lot of people say hooking up and they mean sex, but that's not what it was. So, I mean, maybe for some people, I, but it wasn't like, that's not still to this yeah. day. When I hear hook up, my initial thought is like, they made, had it like made out. That's right. You're physically. Yeah. You're just making you're out. Right. Yes. So people would like go to movies or if people's like could have people at their house, you know, and go in a basement or whatever. Right. Um, there would people would like, you know, make out. Um, and, or people would say they were dating and going out. And I think like once you were kind of like boyfriend, girlfriend, then maybe you'd go out to eat or you'd like go driving or you'd go to movies or you go to each other's houses one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. But I felt like doing one-on-one -on -one kinds of dates was not, um, it didn't really happen until after you had already like solidified that you were dating or like boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah, like you have to hook up in public off to the side somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or you just like hang out in a small group mm. and then like, you know, I, I'm really trying to remember, but it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like, you wouldn't really do one-on-one -on -one stuff until you were like, actually like boyfriend and girlfriend. So, um, Just so yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. And there, I feel like a lot of stuff happened like in small groups. And then you, so like when I dated guys who were in the, the, when I, I think I started dating a sophomore when I was a freshman. And then when I was sophomore year, I was dating a senior. Yeah. And then junior and senior year, maybe I dated a guy who was in college that didn't go to our district. Yeah. Um, I feel like when I dated the guy who was in college, he like had a, we met through our, my high school job. Like we met at work and he had a job so he could take me on real dates. So like we'd go down to Philly and like go to restaurants or go to like movies and like we'd go out. Um, and so that was different, I think, than a lot of people's dating experience in high school. But, um, you, so you kind of, when you dated a guy in a different grade, you kind of hung out with each other's friends. Yeah. And generally because of the like 
multi-year brothers and sisters thing in my friend group, it was kind of like, that stuff was fluid anyway. So sometimes it'd be like an older brother and sister's friends are having a party and like you guys can show up or I'd, you know, we'd hang out with like his friends one weekend and then we'd hang out with my friends or whatever, you know, younger girls and older guys was always happening. So, you know. What? That's, I mean, that's like exactly as I thought. (laughs) And those are the things that like now when I, when I date, I just go like, I don't know how I would have done this then. But it just goes to me like I I, don't, I guess I wasn't ready to date because I couldn't figure it out. Did you do like any like extracurricular activities in high school? Yeah, I played softball all the way through. You did it all the way, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I ended up quitting like midseason my senior year or something. Um, but yeah, I played all the way through. Um. I loved it. I was like, okay, but I, I really did. Like, I really loved it. That's how we're Lauren and Hilton and I became really good friends. Like we were, she was like probably my best friend, I would say freshman year. Okay. Um, I would spend, we'd go to games or we'd go to practice and I'd spend, I'd spend like most Friday nights and just go straight to her house and just sleep over. And like, I was at her house all the time. Um, we, um, yeah, I did softball. I was involved in Key Club. What is that? I don't know. No one knows. No, it's, you know what? It's community service oriented. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's community service oriented. Why I do know what it was. I just right? said that because that was a conversation. <laughs> but I wasn't super involved, to be honest. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I did extracurricular wise. Um, I think. Uh, I did indoor track one year, one winter. Um, I I know I was a member of some clubs, and I just like don't remember what they were. So I still um, have to look at the yearbook at some point to see what your what's on your resume. Okay, so I this is so funny. I'm so glad that we're doing this virtually because I don't know where my senior year yearbook is. I think it's in the basement in a box. Like I was telling you, we renovated our house, so like. Um, I think it's, I know it's in the basement in a box, but I was recently home uh, at my parents' house and found a box of all of my yearbooks from middle school through junior year of high school. And I was like, really like my senior year one isn't in here because it's in my basement, but I didn't look at any of them. So I don't remember what else I did. I worked, I worked and I partied. You mentioned that Um, job. Where were you working? My first job was at Manhattan Bagel. Um, one through and on yeah, yeah. You know Tom talked about they used to hang out when they were. I don't think we overlapped there because I was old. I, even though we're in the same grade, like he's young, young yeah. first grade. Yeah. I don't think we overlapped there, but maybe we did. But uh, yeah, that was my. I worked there for about a year. That was my first job. Wow. Yeah. And so then where? What? And then where? Yeah, the locks. Then I was, were the um, locks and bagels like the bomb there? Did they have locks and bagels then? Their bagels were um like everything locks. Um, bacon, egg, and cheese, like sandwiches. They had everything. It was so good. Um, that was my first job. And then I worked at the drafting room on, um, in Springhouse. Yes. I was a hostess there. Once I turned 16, I think I could work there. And I was a hostess there all throughout the rest of high school. And I, the summer after we graduated, I was like, maybe bar backing. Once you turn 18, you could serve because you could 
um, they were like the whole premise of the drafting room was they had a really extensive like draft beer menu. They had a lot of like they had cast condition beer. They had a lot on tap. They had a lot of like uh, an extensive alcoholic spirits list too. So this is before the beer boom was like a real thing. They were like very early into beer. Yeah. Like a lot of my beer street cred came from working at the drafting room and knowing what like Trogues was and like knowing really like random types of beer because they had such an extensive beer list. Um, but you couldn't do any of that stuff till you were 18. So that summer after we graduated, I waitressed in bar backed there. And then for subsequent summers or like any, coming home for holiday breaks, like I could just pop in there and like work for a little bit if they had openings in the schedule and that was a whole another family for me like i love the drafting room i'm surprised i don't remember you from there we used to love it there they had great brunch really? yeah oh, their brunch was amazing and, and they have like wip this. come in and broadcast from yeah. their bar do you remember that howard eskin would come every sunday they had the best uh it was like a it was like a, a holla chocolate chip french toast french toast Woo! uh-huh yeah Woo. i did the owners were a couple of brothers. Or they were Jewish. Oh, really? Yeah. So that they, yeah, they had great challah French oh, show. So good. Yeah. I did my graduation, uh, my high school graduation dinner at the trapping room. I might have too, to be honest. I'm trying to remember. I like loved it. Loved it. Like what a great experience. Yeah. Um, academically, you talked about, this is something that I'm constantly interested in. It's people's like push for, to be, um, more academically successful through school. I felt like I was on a completely different path than, than my friends. And so I think looking back, that's probably part of why I never, not that you should have, need someone to push you, but one of the reasons why I didn't have a push was because just no one was in, was into the things that I eventually started going into. For you, did you feel competitive with, with your friends or did you feel like, did you, a comparison with, with anyone academically, you were in a lot of classes. Were you above where your friends were or were you even, or did it, was it not even a factor? I didn't feel competitive with my friends. I was competitive with myself. Hmm. I've always put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, my dad's like that too. Um, he, I have a lot of his like personality traits. He, and I think he put, pressure on me, but my parents were never the parents that gave me like, I wasn't in trouble if I didn't do well and I never got like money or like rewards if I got A's. Um, school came pretty easy to me. Mm. Um, I always liked learning. I liked some things more than others, but I always just felt like I really wanted to do well. And I think they didn't, my parents didn't push me too hard and they say like, oh, maybe if we, you know, like we could have pushed you harder. I think my mom's like, I could have pushed you harder or created more structure, but I was pretty self-motivated. I, I think I took for granted that I was smart. And so there were some times where having friends in the social aspect of high school was much more important to me. Um, I think if you like looked at my grades from freshman and sophomore year, they were like lower than my grades from junior and senior year when I like took it more seriously because I started thinking about college. And I guess like, I didn't feel like I had to be the best student or better than anyone. Yeah. Either I was genuinely into a subject or I wasn't. Um, 
And that like kind of impacted how much I tried and participated. But at the end of the day, I just didn't want any doors to be closed to me because I didn't do enough. So in some cases, I did what I felt like I had to do to keep doors open to me to go like where I wanted to go to school. Um, so in stuff I didn't care that much about, I felt like I was always trying to get an A, but in sometimes it was kind of like, if I get like a B, you know, I'm going to like, I would pick and choose. I was not trying to get a B in Mr. Quimby's class, right? But there were some classes where I was like, if I get a B in calculus, like, fine. I think my worst grade was probably like when we took sewing in middle school. <laughs> I still can't sew to this day. Oh, shit. Oh, I had, that, but, sur I had yeah. that surfboard pillow for years. Oh, I feel like I remember a cat of some sort. Mm -hmm. A cat. I don't, I don't know. But I like, remember, I think I like sewed my thumbs together on the sewing machine. I just, yeah. But I, like food prep, like sign me up. I will bake you brownies all day. <laughs> I think food prep saved me. But um, yeah, I like, I really like school. Like I like learning I like to like I'm a dork like I I really liked it I I um there were some classes and some teachers I didn't like but for the most part like um yeah it was it just like wasn't it wasn't that big of a thing for me to uh to do well enough you know I wasn't trying to be valedictorian did that come I mean I don't know. Do you think that was just in you? Did you work hard at it in the beginning and it just got easier? Do you think, or do you think it was hereditary? Like, what is it that made it so easy? Like you seemed, you seemed like you were very conscious of your intake, your academic intake, as far as like, you're okay with getting a B. I don't think I would, I don't think I ever went into a test. Like, I feel like I'm B ready. I, I felt like it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, just fucking engulfing the shit in my brain so I don't fucking fail. And that's the best I can hope to do is to not fail. Were you, were you that conscious of it that like, I got it down enough. I never, I could not study for a test occasionally, but like the guilt of, I would just feel bad mm. about myself. I was pretty responsible. I've always been responsible. Maybe that comes with being an oldest child. I don't know. I think my parents, you know, my dad works really hard. My mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom, but was is super smart. And I feel like they always taught us it was really important to do your best and to work hard. And they would work with us if we needed help. Hmm. Uh, but for me, it was just like, if I didn't do something that I was supposed to do, I felt bad about it. And I just didn't like feeling like I didn't do as well as I could have. I tried, like I tried hard. I worked hard, but I also like, I didn't struggle. Like I, I didn't, I struggled more with math and science and some of the more like abstract stuff but I loved English and I loved reading and writing and I loved social studies. I just, math, math is like not abstract, right? Math is like pretty. Yo, math <laughs> is abstract. <laughs> is abstract. Like I'm going to sit here and like understand theories about shapes. I can't see or hold in my hand. Algebra I did fine with. Okay. Okay. 
I just, for me, it was just like, I just don't give a shit about this stuff. And, yeah. you know, I don't apply it in my, I, I knew that I was like, I wish I was scientifically inclined. I think the sciences are super cool. I actually had the highest grade in the class in anatomy and physiology with Mr. Klein. He was another teacher that I like loved. In his, I loved that shit, but organic chemistry or any kind of chemistry or f I never did physics. I never even tried. Like I just couldn't, I just couldn't like, it just, I wasn't that good at it, but I, so I would work hard at those classes to like get a decent grade. So I didn't screw up my GPA, but, um, I like, I, I genuinely like learning. I, I mean, and I feel like guilty if I, if I don't try hard and if I screw something up. So I, I don't know. <laughs> that is like, I wish I felt that way then. That's how I feel now. Literally, like, I, like, especially with everything going on now, like, all I do is try and like, just learn about stuff, read about stuff, watch documentaries, educational stuff. Just like, I wish I knew a lot more. And I wish back then. And this is why this is why I asked that because you just seem so conscious of your educational intake and, and how you were how you chose to behave. Whereas I didn't have a grasp on that. Everything was a, was a hail mary for me. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I and that's probably why I wanted to go back to school in 2000, 2009 or two thousand ten was because I felt like I understood information so much better than I did in high school. I just didn't have a grasp. I didn't. I. When I think back, like I, I can think back to myself in like 28 or 22 and think like, oh, here's where my mind was. I get why I wasn't paying attention. When I think back to myself at 16, 15, 17, I have no clue what was going on in my head and why I couldn't just buckle down and get my shit together. I just couldn't. I There was... I think some of it is a maturity thing for different people. And I definitely found Brad, like as I went on through school, the more relevant what I was studying was to kind of like what I was interested in or what I wanted to do. And the narrower that got, like my grades and my electives or in my like required credits courses in college were not as good in the courses that were as the courses that were actually relevant to my major. Right. Because if I'm not interested in it, I am going to do the bare minimum that I need to do to get a decent grade that this doesn't fuck up my GPA. But if I'm interested in it, you know, by the time I was doing my master's, I was literally like, I knew it wasn't going to like help me get a job. Like it was that it, it was like, I was doing professionally what I was studying and studying what I did professionally. And so I was just so much, it, getting good grades was effortless because I was so into it. Like I wanted it, I wanted to grow. And so I think in high school, that was like the bottom line is like the stuff that I thought was relevant to where I might see myself in the future was the stuff that I poured myself into to learn it, to retain it, to understand it and to like grow from it. And the stuff that I like just had to do, I just didn't want to screw it up so that it held me back in any way. Um, I also think that in the early years of high school, when we were all still finding our place, I tried to hide that I was smart and liked school because I thought that wasn't cool. And it was more important to me to be cool. And then by the time it was, we were in like maybe 11th grade, I was just like, fuck it. I'm trying to get into college. So I'm going to like, I'm going to go for it. You know? So that's, so 
you're maybe the first person to like use it in those terms, but you know, that's why I'm, I'm always really interested in like, you know, the popular kids when, when they're very academically advanced, I'll say, and, and like the pressure or the competition, but when you say like you, it was more important to be cool. What, what, like, that's exactly it. So like, I felt like you were cool. You hung out with cool people. You were one, you know, one of the cool kids essentially, but But I'm a closet, like I'm a closet nerd. Like, but you wanted to, you wanted to, you had, you had reservations about studying, but for you, when you say like, you wanted to be cool, what did that, what does that mean to you? I just like, I don't know. It was probably defined by Saved by the Bell, but I, you know, I was, I wasn't competitive with my peers, but I was cognizant of the fact that like Brooke and Colleen and Bethany and Lizzie Black, who are all my friends, like got better grades than I did. Right. Or like they were in a lot of my classes. Um, and I, I was cognizant of that, of the, that fact that like I had other friends that were um, like, getting a little bit better grades than I was or whatever. Um, you know, and I, so I don't, I don't think that we ever competed, but it was kind of like, I knew, I knew that, I guess. Um, and I don't know why I thought that it would matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, I guess, I'm not sure. I think it was just stereotypes. Like your own, I, I embraced like your own being smart later on because I was more secure with myself and my friendships and who I was as a person. Whereas when I was a freshman, I, I, um, I took for granted, I guess that I wasn't, I didn't wear it on my sleeve. Right. And, um, I focus, I spent more energy on like, my friendships and relationships and stuff. Cause I didn't want to be defined. I never wanted to be defined by anyone thing, to be honest. Like, I'm just not, I feel like that's just overly simplistic. I don't like categories, but I just, I don't know. And the thing that's interesting is like, I feel like, you know, I took hard classes. I got along with kids that were considered like the smart kids. Like I had mad respect for that. So it wasn't like wanting to, avoid any kind of reputation or category it was just like I don't know I don't know what it was I was just thinking like about like I was saying like I don't know why at some point I felt like liking school and like getting good grades and stuff was like mutually exclusive with like being well liked and the social my social priorities but I do think like some of it had to do with the fact that like, okay, so I was friends with like, my friends were all over the map academic academically. And I was like aware of that. And it was never important to me and my French, like who I was friends with. I think it's kind of arbitrary, but I knew like those were the rules that I needed to play by to like get in, get through the door into the next phase of my life and have options. Right. So, um, Ultimately, I don't think your grades in high school are really a huge predictor of whether you end up being successful, nor is where you went to college. But I do think that there was sometimes. a... Huh? Sometimes. I mean, your grades are... Sometimes no. 
sometimes no, but your grades can be very, if you don't play sports or, you know, if your, if your grades are whatever, it can be hard. To, you're going to have like a top half cut off to you. I guess for me, it was like, I, I, um, it was never important to me in terms of like who I chose my friends. Sure. It was more like, I do think that there was a gender dynamic to it where, um, I, d because I was like, you know, I liked boys and I wanted them to like me. I wanted to seem non-threatening, you know? And I think a lot of women, like, it, especially when you're young and insecure, which I totally was like, you know, if you're interested in a guy who doesn't get good grades, you don't want him to feel like you're smarter than he is or like feel, um, feel intimidated. So sometimes we like dull those aspects of ourselves, um, to, to not be threatening to, uh, other people that we're looking to attract. And I don't think that that is specific to my relationships, like my boyfriends in high school, but I do think that was a dynamic to it. Mm -hmm. And I just, that didn't spring to mind initially when we started talking about this, but I actually think that that was like an angle. And then I think, you know, I just, I really like grew up a lot after the first couple of years of high school. And that wasn't really a factor to me anymore. Hmm. Almost like you've got to play the bimbo a little bit. I will say, I don't know if I ever played the bimbo, <laughs> but I definitely downplayed being smart or caring about school or being good at school early on. Um, Cause I didn't want to be defined by that. And I think like a lot of times women, I don't think it's like this anymore. And this is actually really cool. Like about, the way things have changed and the way yeah. like I think about raising my daughter and what she thinks of as important. But I think a lot of times women have to make a choice between what kind of woman you want to be because we're so oversimplified. So you can be that it's the people say that um, Madonna or the horror complex. I don't think that's like an oversimplification, but you can be a hot girl and you can be a pretty girl and, or you can be a smart girl and you can be a serious girl. And it's like, you can be smart and have a good time. Like, but it just didn't feel like there was enough space to be both back in the day. And I took for granted that I was smart, but I didn't know, I, I like aspired to be attractive and have guys like me. And like, you know, so it's kind of like, I just, uh, I didn't think I could be both. And I think a lot of women feel like they have to choose. And I don't think that little girls are being raised that way anymore. Um, to feel like, you know, they have to, they have to dull parts of who they, I hope anyway, like they don't, that they don't have to, like for my daughter's sake, I hope that they, they don't feel like they have to dull parts of who they are um, for people to like and accept them. Do you think you achieved that? of being attractive and smart for yourself. I mean, because you were, you think now that you, I mean, at least now you think that that's how you thought, but looking back, do you think you achieved that goal of being smart and appearing pretty to the guys? 
I have no idea and I don't care. <laughs> all right, that's my new question. I, I have I no idea. I'm going to start asking. I'm going to start asking all the guys that now. Like, Leslie, smart, pretty, or both? No. Listen, I don't want to know the answer, but I don't really care. Like, I just, it's so not the way I see the world anymore. And I think that when you talk about how like, oh, my view was like very informed by Saved by the Bell. Like I don't, you could be a Jesse or you could be a Kelly. Do you know what I mean? But you know what? I didn't like Jesse until I was probably like in my, in my like late teens, like early twenties when I'm watching like deep reruns. Like that's when yeah, I- You were watching Showgirls, Brad, like be honest. <laughs> No, the answer is you want that to be Lisa. Be, you, you might be Lisa is the answer. It's not binary. Oh, no, I was a Kelly. No, 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 I was a Kelly guy. I was For a Kelly now, guy. Oh, I, like Lisa was clearly the coolest, but it was very, it felt very binary back in the day. And that's like stupid. Yeah, no, Kelly was my girl. Jesse, you might be right. When Dream Girls, <laughs> or when Dream Girls, when Showgirls came out, I was definitely like, God, I wish it was, I wish it was Tiffany Amber Thiessen, but like what Tiffany Amber Thiessen was doing on 90210 was like enough for me. That was NC-17 enough for me. Oh yeah. She was feisty on that oh, one. Yeah. She had the big boobs. She was wearing like leather with zippers and she had the whole thing with Dylan. She was a, she was a bad girl. Might be another podcast. I'm not sure yet. But, <laughs> but like when, when, yeah, when Jesse Spano came out with like showgirls, I was like, oh damn, she's hot. But she wasn't the hot girl in Saved by the Bell. Mm-hmm. And so she wasn't anyone that I ever, as a, as a teenager, looked at sexually because she wasn't presented that way. And I think likewise, and that's, I think that's why I, I kind of ask the questions in three or four different ways sometimes, because I am curious as to like when I, I think also popular kids, especially when it's girls is code for like the pretty girls that guys like look at or guys talk to or talk about. Um, and so I'm curious as to like that world of, you know, what I assume as girls being interested in guys, but also the bookworm stereotype of, well, she's not interested in guys. She's just studying. And that's the thing is like, I hope it doesn't sound like I was having such a hard time because I was like so smart and so pretty because that's not how I felt. No, I think it was very I real and honest. feel like I was pretty, but I knew I was smart. No, but- I that but it didn't feel like being smart was like really that great or really that cool so it was kind of like maybe i should focus on being pretty and liked and accepted and so and and that's i i felt very insecure about those things so that's that's why i have felt like it was a choice well i think that's a really interesting aspect of it because something that i don't think anyone's really talked about is like the hard work of being in the popular kid crew you know, the, the acknowledgement of like, okay, I'm in this like group of, of people where there's a stigma, right? You've acknowledged, at least for like a girl, you feel like there's a stigma for the guys that you want to be attracted to you. Um, and so I, I just, I think for me, a lot of times in this podcast, I, I fall into two different things. One, I wasn't part of the cool kids. I didn't party, even though from afar, I, I kind of wanted to be in that world of being around girls and hanging out and feeling cool. Um, but also I didn't feel academically pushed. And so I didn't fall into that world either where when I look back, I go, God, I, I wish 
I wish I was in enrichment. I wish I was having conversations like that because those are the conversations I'm having now. That's what I'm completely into. And so I, I think on both sides of what you were struggling with are on the other side of the things that I was, I didn't, that I, I also thought were mutually exclusive, but I didn't fit into either. I get that. And I, I, I feel like a lot of the cool kids felt the pressure too. I, I think, I don't know if that stigma was the reality. Like, I think I should give some of my guy friends more credit than that. Right. Like, but in my mind, that was my perception at the time. Um, and that could have just been a maturity thing on my end, or it could have just been like, whatever, like, I don't put that, um, I don't, I don't know how much that was the reality versus like how much I just made that assumption, but that was probably more about my insecurity and having experienced in recent history, being the new kid and feeling super like out of the mix and super awkward, like. I think probably I oversimplified the solution to like that to compensate for that insecurity, right? But who knows? Like, but you were watching the same stuff I was, so we had yeah. the same insecurity. You know what I mean? Like our our basis for that stereotype came from the same stuff, came from the same places of of television. So. And I think it was probably reinforced by some of our peers, but it would be really like a generalization to say like. Well, yeah, I don't say that that applied to everybody equally in all circumstances. But I also don't think everybody looks at it. And this is why I, I, I do appreciate like your point of view and having just this conversation with you, because I don't think everybody looks at it as honestly as that. And, and I think this is something that I excel in, in, in breaking my own mentality down and why I feel certain ways. And it sounds like you at least have an understanding as to some of your influences in, in thinking that way. But I don't think everyone thinks that way. I, you know, I, I fully expect that if I, if I interview people who are in the popular crowd, who, you know, maybe didn't care about academics, their mentality is like, Oh, I was just like having fun. I was wanting to be a cool yeah. kid. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think everyone like, I don't, I don't think everyone necessarily breaks down their behavior or breaks down their want and where it came from. Whereas like, I, I know that I'm, I'm somewhat poisoned by pop culture and television and feeling excluded from those events that I was watching on TV. And also like you kind of mentioned earlier, not being mature enough. I, th I think academically and socially, I wasn't there. And so I don't, I don't know that everyone's dissected their own past in that way to be able to realize what you've kind of explored. Well, you can definitely count on me to overanalyze shit. And I, I honestly don't know if like some of my closest friends from high school even really know that I felt that way. I don't know how good of a front I put up, right? Like, mm. I don't know how good of a front I put up about my insecurities. Um, but I definitely like operated up from an insecure place, I think for a lot of the time. And then I think I just like grew up a little bit and felt more rooted in my friendships and could see a bigger picture in a life beyond high school. And, um, being able to get to that point, I like really enjoyed it so much more because I could be a much more genuine version of myself. And that, that is like the, the second half of high school, I think for me. That's funny. That's how I feel about my late 20s and early 30s. So, I get that, I guess, though. 
and and then the thing is like when I went to college I went through that reset over again where I was like a little fish in a big pond again there were a lot I was in a college that like there were a lot of really wealthy students at GW, which I just didn't realize was going to be the case. A lot of really privileged people. And I felt super out of my element. And I went through that very similar process again, where I felt like I just had to, I wanted to do well in school, but I had to figure out where I fit in and who I was. And, uh, I was unsettled for the first two years of college. And then the second two years of college, I just, um, I stopped caring as much what people thought about me and just kind of like went with what felt right, you know, but it, it, I think when I'm thrown into a new situation, what I've learned about myself and how I deal with transition and how I deal with uncertainty and ambiguity is that I have to sit back and process what's going on Mm. um, because I get really like anxious and I, and I am better off to sit back and process on process what's going on a little bit before I figure out how I feel about it and how I can best engage. God, that's me too. (laughs) It took a long time to get there though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've got text messages right now. I'm not answering because I'm just not sure how I want to engage with these yeah. people and the groups that they interact with. And I think I just need, I need 36 to 48 hours to truly figure out how I want to proceed with these conversations with people. <laughs> when you, when you mentioned, um, you talked about like doors opening, like in reference to college, you're the oldest, uh, do you have, is Marissa your only sister or do you have another sister? No, uh, my other sister is Emily. So, Marissa's three years younger than me. Emily's 10 years younger than me. Whoa. Yeah. She's currently, she lives in DC too. She's currently downstairs. Like she probably like Like downstairs right now in my house. Yeah. We have, so my daughter, uh, Aria calls Emily Mimi and we have Mimi Wednesdays. So Mimi comes over and like handles Aria's like dinner, bath time, bedtime on Wednesdays. That's awesome. And they're like super, we're all three of us girls are really close. Marissa's in Philly and she has her own family. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily moved to DC, oh God, like maybe four years ago. Um, and she lived with Dave and me for like six months while she was figuring out her job living situation. And now she lives a 10 minute walk away. Um, and we see each other like, and it's funny because we hadn't lived together since she was eight and I was 18, right? right. When we went to college. So there were things That's I didn't great. know about my own sister when we lived together as adults, like how she took her coffee, how she liked her eggs, like shit like that. Uh, what food she doesn't eat. It's all food. It's all room out. But like just stuff like that. Um, you know, she's like a bitch when she first wakes up in the morning, like, you know, little things like, like that we learned about each other. Um, and she has a real, she is a very devoted aunt and she is like a kindred spirit with my daughter, which is kind of cool. Cause when she was born and I was 10, I was like her second mommy, right? Like cause of the big age difference. So, uh, it's kind of like recycling. And mm. so she's, she's downstairs and she's also drinking buddies with my husband. So she's like, we said, we say we're sister wives. Like she's downstairs, like with my husband and my daughter while I'm up here talking to you and, 
Um, so I have two sisters. That's great. Yeah. Um, what for you, what did you want the future to be? What did you want to do when you're, you were in high school? I mean, like, we, you know, again, we talked about like these doors opening. What were these, what were these doors? Was it, was it college? Was it a specific path? Was it a, a career? What were your options when you were, when you were like growing up that you felt, Oh, here's like, you mentioned 11th grade was kind of like, okay, focusing for college. What, what was going on that you felt, or at least what was it that you felt you could go into that you wanted to, you needed to focus? I wanted to be secretary of state. <laughs> um, when I was younger, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Can I be I, honest? Can I, can I tell you? Uh -huh. If I were to guess, that's what I would have thought you would have said. That's a very like, what I, like if you ask 18 year old me, what do you want to be when you grow up with secretary of state? That's a, um, that's a very Jesse Spano, Leslie Burke answer. Thanks. I, I left my high waisted jeans and uh, sweater vest in the other room. Um, I like, I think, I think that studying like that studying the Holocaust as like a young preteen. <laughs> um, but seriously, like study, stuff. I studied all kinds of like marginalized people and, in, and injustices and social inequality. And like, I always wanted to be in a position to, I was interested in the world, right? I wanted international experience. My family um, travel's a big thing in my family. Most of the travel we did growing up was domestic to the U.S., but it was, my parents traveled internationally. It was just a passion of theirs that I, like my sisters and I, all have developed. We all love to travel and explore. Understanding other people and like where they come from was important to me. And so that's why Mr. Quimby's influence on me was so profound because I started to understand how important culture and geography and history were to people and to the dynamics of how the world worked. And, and we talked about politics and we talked about current events in my house growing up. And I wanted to be able to help people who weren't in a position to help themselves. So I wanted to be able to advocate for people who were marginalized. I wanted to be able to, um, uh, help, you know, help people who were facing inequality and who, and give people a voice who didn't have a voice. Oh, yeah, I was going to say a voice for, for a long time. Voice. Yeah. For a long time. I, I, I studied a lot of different injustices and conflicts and, um, and this is on your own as just as a kid in high school, you're just I didn't learn about stuff in school, but like, yeah, like I literally was like writing reports on the Holocaust when I was freaking 11 and I did my senior class project on gender apartheid in Afghanistan and I wore a burqa and like, yeah, like I ordered a burqa from Pakistan and I still have it. I was really interested in that stuff. Leslie, Leslie, I did my senior project on the Montreal screw job for the WWE title. Yeah, that was so relevant to what you ended up doing. Like, good for you, dude. Like you actually like lived your freaking high school dream. Like, I, you lived your dream. Like, talk about how, like, oh, grades, like, actually, no. Like, you lived your high school dream. But that was an accident. It's had not I, an accident. Had I tried to pursue it, 
Had I tried to pursue it, it would have never happened. So as you're like 11 and 12 grade starts happening for you and you talk about like these doors opening for you, what did that look like as, as far as like a, a career or college or just after high school? What were these, these doors that you felt you needed to focus on for 11th through 12th grade? Uh, well, I knew I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be able to go wherever I wanted to go. Mm. Um, my, so I, you know, I remember when you were, uh, in, in Tom's interview, he was talking about how his parents were pretty well off, but they both started out really poor. Um, and my parents were, had a similar story. Like my dad was rural poor and my mom was urban poor, but like they both were really poor growing up. I think my mom was the first person in her family to graduate college. Hmm. And my dad was maybe the first. No, his mom went to college, actually. because She was a teacher. He didn't graduate college. He never finished. He came really close and he never finished. And he was successful despite that. But it was very important to my parents that I got a good education and that I worked hard and I didn't take anything for granted. And I think they were cognizant of the fact that I grew up my sisters and I grew up with a lot um, more, like more in terms of resources than they did. And they didn't want us to become entitled. Mm. So they really wanted us to always have jobs, to work hard, to get good grades and to get an education. And so it was an expectation that I would go to college and that I would work as hard as I could in school. And they took me on college visits when I was maybe sophomore um, we, we, and I think because like neither of my parents were from Pennsylvania, they didn't like default to, you will go to school in Pennsylvania. And I was kind of, I want to see the world type of thing. So we visited, um, you weren't beholden, you weren't beholden to like Penn state or temple. Like, so Penn Westchester. state is like such an awesome school. It's so much fun. I felt like it was the thing that so many people were trying to do and I wanted to be different. And I did feel like I wanted to go to school in an urban environment. So Penn state, I, I applied to, I got in, I think I would have really loved it. And I think I probably should have given it more consideration. My dad went to the university of Wisconsin in Madison. Oh, so I grew up a Badger fan and it's like fun town USA. Like Madison's like the most fun place in America. My youngest sister ended up going to school there. Um, and like had the best experience and you know, it's such a great school. Penn state is such a good school. Both are, are very, very like highly regarded here in DC. Um, but I just like wanted an urban environment. I wanted to study international affairs um, my parents took me to call a few college towns so I could explore multiple schools. So uh, we went to we went to the Boston area, and I explored like BU, UMass, Northeastern. Mm. Um, we went to we came to DC, and I looked at different schools in the DC area. Um, I didn't want a school with an official like religious affiliation, so I, I oh, and we went to North Carolina, and we went to like Duke and UNC. Mm. Um, so that, those are like all pretty like you know BU and, and UMass and, yeah. and UNC like those are all pretty like 
outside of like Ivy League, you, there's not much outside, you know, there's not much hierarchy beyond those, those schools. So I knew I couldn't get into Ivy League schools. Um, but I felt like those were all within my reach. And I think I got into like most of the schools I applied to, I think, uh, oh, when I looked at Syracuse actually with oh. my high school boyfriend at the time. Um, I think that I just like knew I, I wanted an urban environment. Now, if I did it over again, I don't know if I would have done that because I had so much fun visiting my friends who went to schools that actually had a football team and actually had that like college campus experience. And I would go mm-hmm. visit like Natalie at Lafayette and Adrian at Lehigh. Um, you know, I would go visit my friend. I went to visit Rachel at Pitt. Like I would go visit my friends at like real colleges, like all the time and had the best time. But I loved, I loved GW. I loved the academic experience. Um, but it, you know, it was an urban campus and it was a different, it was kind of a different college experience for sure. But yeah, I knew I wanted, I went right into the international affairs school. Um, and I knew I wanted an urban environment so that my parents like really, they were kind of like, this is what you're doing. We're going to go explore some options. Um, that was just what it was. So you going into international affairs, is that, that's really just, you know, accumulation of the way that, you know, you were kind of brought up the doctor or a doctor, Mr. Quimby and, and the way that he kind of like, sculpted your brain as far as like as far as like recognizing other people's struggles just what's going on in the outside world and your ability to travel with your family outside of the country is that is that really all that that brought that into international studies for you i mean it's a pretty yeah. i i don't know anyone else that's done international studies at least definitely no one i've interviewed so yeah. Um, you didn't go right. I mean, point being, you didn't go, you didn't go into like sociology or anthropology or. No, uh, I went to GW about- because it had an, a well, like, like a uh, um, highly regarded international affairs school. I went direct. I didn't go into like a general studies and then pick a major. Like I went right in off the bat. I applied to mm-hmm. the Elliott school. Um I think it's a combination of all those things. And it wasn't just Mr. Quimby. Like there were a lot of teachers that, you know, I think I had Matt Happy, his first year teaching. I had, um, I'm picturing her, but I'm not remembering her last name. Another social studies teacher who challenged us. Like I. McLaughlin. No. Oh. No. It's going to bother me, but. It's going to bother me. I, I mean, I think that we had good teachers at Wissahickon. Um, we really did. I think it was, you know, it's a great community. It's a great, it was a great experience. Um, I felt prepared for college. Like the emphasis that they put on reading comprehension and critical thinking and writing, I felt prepared for college when I got there. Um, I know other friends who didn't. I felt ready to do it. I felt like I had the study skills. I felt like I had the the skills to know how to be successful and how to approach my classes. Mm. Um, but for me, like, yeah, it was a combination of all of those things, I think. Um, I just, I, I think I felt like we historically have played a really important leadership role in the world. 
and I wanted to better understand the world. Like my family didn't travel internationally that much until I was in high school. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I just was always interested in international affairs and, um, other parts of the world and, um, where my family came from. Like, I just was always fascinated by that. So I, I don't know. That's kind of how I, I think when, once I became aware, right, like my awareness was curiosity and I just kept like learning more and more. So I, I knew that's what I wanted to focus on in school. Was Mr. Quimby your favorite teacher? Oh yeah. Favorite class, yeah. favorite teacher? Yeah, for sure. I had him two, twice because I think because of enrichment. So I had him freshman and sophomore year. Okay. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. deal you said. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, did you have like, um, I, I've gotten away from this a little bit, but I am curious about it. And I feel like when I miss it in episodes, I go, oh, God, I didn't ask. But, you know, I'm such a I'm such a pop culture nerd. But did you have like a favorite, a favorite band, a favorite group, favorite music artist? In I'm so glad you asked this because this has not been covered oh. in a podcast yet. And I feel like all my girlfriends are going to be like, Oh yeah. We were all like obsessed with the miseducation of Lauren Hill in high school. I lo- I've loved hip hop since I can remember. Like I think since I was like, I remember being in Illinois when I was like eight or nine, I remember hearing Rex and effects for the first time. Bless you. Yes. Hearing poison for the first time on B96. Like I, I, um, Lauren Hill was like everything to me. Um, wow. we like burned the shit out of that CD. We uh, went to the concert. Wait, we went to the concert the wait. week of my 16th birthday in Upper Darby at the Tower Theater. We went yeah. to the whole concert and Outcast opened for Lauren Hill and they brought us onto their tour bus to drink with them in the intermission. Oh, I feel like Alicia told this story. Was it you and Lindsay? It was me and Lindsay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I think Alicia told a story and I took it out because it wasn't her story and I didn't want to put it yeah. out. I didn't want to put it out there in case you guys were completely okay with it. But yeah, you hung out with, with Andre with, 3000. No. Oh. No. We hung out with Big Boy. Oh. Boy and Andre had two different buses because Andre was sober. They called his bus the church bus. And Big Boy, that's where all the shenanigans went on, was on Big Boy's bus, okay? This is still the coolest I've ever been, was like this moment. So, um, yeah, so we went to the Tower Theater. We went to this concert. We were so obsessed with Lauren Hill. I love that. We were also obsessed with Outkast. Like, Bombs Over Baghdad and, like, Rosa Parks. Like, we were obsessed with Outkast. We were obsessed with DMX. I was obsessed with, like, Lil' Kim and Foxy. Oh yeah, Elkana. Um, yeah, uh, and like one thing I, for sure, I'll be. That's yeah, obsessed. Eve, obsessed. Crush on you um, remix. What? The crush on you remix. Yeah, I mean, like. You, know you see me on the video. True. True. Yeah. Every like. Oh. Every, I just like. I still. The music from our high school days is still, and middle school is like still my favorite. 
Like I just put like Ja Rule radio on Pandora and like let it go. <laughs> so this is really funny. Before the podcast started, I was like, I wonder where I was like, what's my impression of 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 Leslie before this podcast? And I was like, I feel like she could like put on like like she would just like put on some Lauren Hill or some shit or like get a superstar and just like rock out and like that's her vibe. That's literally what I said yeah. to myself like 15 minutes before we connected and we started like and we haven't talked about music but just the vibe that I've gotten from you of talking to you. It's so funny. And on Zoom I was like I feel like yeah like like some like 99 2000s hip hop would definitely yeah. be like her style. And just like rock out to that, and I've nailed it. When, when my when we brought my daughter home from the radio or from the hospital, the first song she ever heard in her life was "Hypnotize." Like <laughs> she, like she has grown up. She she has grown up with so much hip hop in her life. She knows who Biggie is. She knows like lyrics to like Lizzo songs. Like she loves Lizzo. Um. But we like, yeah, that's just, that's funny because I thought you were going to be like, like basic bitch. <laughs> no. So Lauren Hill is our shit. If you, if you have your yearbook and you look at my quote senior year, it was a lyric from Lauren Hill's secret song at the end of the miseducation of Lauren Hill. And I don't have my yearbook. I just remember it. I remember it like. First that. of all, this looks like you. Does it? <laughs> it looks like you. You look like her. Thanks. I guess. <laughs> and deep in my heart, the answer it was in me, and I made up my mind to define my define own. Define my destiny. own destiny. Yep. Lauren Hill. Yep. She was everything, and she did not like. We were not her target demographic. She made that abundantly clear, yeah, but I. We'll never forget that concert was like one of the coolest experiences and uh, parting with big boy and Donnie, his drummer was, who was like deep in the crevassier. Like that was fun as shit. And then they like tried to take us to Atlantic city with them. And then we were like, no, we gotta go back in the concert. And they gave us paper plates and they signed our paper plates. And then at the end, we like went up to the front and like Lauren Hill signed our paper plates. And I would literally give my left boob if I could find that paper plate, but I didn't keep it. I know. I know. Cause she did an encore. Like she did an encore and we went to the front for the encore and it was such an amazing concert. And like, um, the, I still, the music that we grew up with was like everything to me. Where did you, uh, where'd you meet your husband in college? No. Um, he went to Tulane. Um, we, we, he's a year older than me, um, but he grew up in the Westchester area. So he went to Westtown High School and we worked um, at the same lobbying firm, same government relations firm after college. And we were um, really good friends for like, so he had been there for maybe five or six months when I started and we were really good friends. And then uh, but we both had kind of like a crush on each other. And then a couple months after he broke up with his girlfriend, we got drunk and made out in the back of a taxi cab. And that was uh, 14 or 15 years ago. That was and good. like 
that was it. Yeah. In July, we'll, ha- we'll celebrate our eighth wedding anniversary. Wow. Congratulate him on his game for me. Yeah. He had no game. <laughs> no game. I invited him to barrel it. So my uh, best friend from college and college roommate since freshman year, Monica, is from South Jersey. Um, she's like the coolest person you'll ever meet. And uh, we, she went to GW Law after college and I got a job. So we literally moved. We took the summer to figure out our lives. We moved back in together. Wow. And so Monica was in law school and I became friends with all her friends in law school. So I have a law school group of girlfriends, but I never went to law school. And uh, they did beer Olympics and she's Portuguese. So we were team Portugal. And um, my, I invited some of my colleagues. So I had a lot of fun young colleagues and Dave was the only one who could come. And I was like, cool. I have a crush on him anyway. So we got like blackout drunk and I like, you know, jumped on him in the back of the cab. Monica was there. She's like pressed up against the window. Like, yo, get off me. And we were like making out next to her. And that's how we got together. (laughs) It's hot. (laughs) It's not. I don't remember it at all. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't remember our first kiss. But (laughs) it was, that's hot. That's a hot story. We We tried to keep it a secret at work. Um, it was a small firm, um, by the following like holiday party. So like almost a year later, a little less than a year later, we won the worst kept secret award at the holiday party. And one of the partners at the firm actually officiated our wedding at the please touch museum in Philly. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's so Philly. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you doing when you left college? So when I left college, I was really like trying to figure out, was I going to come back to Philly or stay in DC? Um, and, um, I was applying all kinds of shit, you know, like I, I don't know. Um, so the first, the first job that I got was at a lobbying firm. Uh, well, it was a law and government relations firm in DC. I didn't fully understand what lobbying or government relations was. Um, I was really, interested in international affairs, but I also wanted to pay the bills, right? So I kind of like prematurely maybe ruled out Capitol Hill. State Department was very competitive. I really felt like I had this great education and I had a little bit of a sense of entitlement, like that was enough to like get me in the door and I didn't know how to go about the job game very well. So I found a firm that was a small government relations firm. And one of the partners did some trade work. Hmm. So I went and I interviewed, um, I was interviewing with like Vanguard and like big companies in the Philly area, but I also interviewed at this firm. It was called Old Acre Biden and Bel Air. And um, one of the partners, Oscar did some trade stuff. What I didn't realize is that that was a very small part of what the firm did. And he was based in Chicago and he was not who I would be working with. Um, but I interviewed with um, two of the partners, Bill Oldacre and Hunter Biden. And, uh huh. Whoa. And Bill and Hunter. Wait, wait. wait. My Give me first, a fucking second, Leslie. <laughs> Bill and Hunter were my first bosses. And then Eric uh, Schwerin, who worked with them, like, they were my first bosses out of college. Okay. 
I literally at that, like I will cop to, I had been so focused on international politics. That was my major. I didn't really know anything about Joe Biden. So I, they liked me because I was a Philly kid and they needed like a legislative assistant to do a lot of administrative stuff. And it was a, it was a small firm. Um, and I was like, and this is Oh six, Oh seven. This is, uh, no, it's still Oh five. I started there October, 2005. And I didn't really know a lot about like who Joe Biden was, but I like quickly figured it out. And I think what they liked about me is that one, I was from Philly and two, I was like, listen, you guys, I get that if you want to do big, important things, you need me to do little things. So don't feel bad about it. I'll go pick up your dry cleaning or I'll like schedule your lunch appointments. Like, I don't care. I just want to learn. And I didn't realize that I would be getting into more domestic politics and policies and all that stuff. And like, what I realized is that the stuff I liked about international politics, I liked about domestic politics. So I'm a quick learner, you know, and I, um, it was a small firm. So you were either like a founding partner there weren't many like middle management type folks there. You were a partner or you were um, a very junior level staffer. So the junior level staffers and I bonded. We were all, we're still in touch. We're all, we were super tight. We would go out, like we didn't have a lot of responsibility. We'd go out and party together, like on the weekends, on Tuesdays, on Thursdays, like we were hanging out all the time. Um, and we worked really hard and it was a very sink or swim situation because you had a, a small architecture to the firm. So you could get exposure to some really cool learning experiences. Um, and we just worked our asses off to learn as much as possible and get to grow and do as much as possible. And like the firm changed combinations. Like Hunter got out of lobbying at a certain point and like there were different partners that came in. There were different parts. And so, but my husband is still there. He's a partner at the firm working with Bill, working with other partners that have come on over the years. And they turned, they, they over the years specialized in, in healthcare. And that's primarily what my husband does. Mm. Um, but I just like, I got thrown into this world and I had no idea what I was signing up for in terms of learning the legislative process, learning the players. We did campaign volunteer work. We volunteered on Bo Biden's first attorney general campaign in Delaware. Um, they let us do stuff with clients. They let us go, like over time, mm. we did everything from the books to scheduling to answering phones. But over time, I mean, we were doing um, appropriations requests. We were working with on client strategies. We were going to the Hill. like. Wow. The experience, and we were learning from veterans. Like Bill had worked with, I mean, I got to meet Ted Kennedy. Bill had worked with Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden and Harry Reid, and like, like, like real statesmen. Like our other partner Vince, who officiated our wedding, was super close with Senator Inouye, and like these guys were part of history and part of like statesmanship and leadership, and like we got to meet some of the greats, and like. The coolest thing I can say about Joe Biden is that he would call the office and he would be like, hey, this is Hunter's dad. Is he around? Like, he never said this is Senator Biden. It was like, hey. He knew who the man was at the company. 
this is Hunter's dad. Is he, is he in, you know? And it was like, that was so, um, we just had exposure to really cool opportunities and people and leaders. Um, I like learned how to do campaign finance data entry and, uh, we worked with all kinds of clients and it was fascinating. We worked with a former appropriations clerk who, um, passed away years ago, Frank, who was, he would, you know, we would work like we'd work our asses off. Like my husband and I to this day don't celebrate Valentine's day because we used to always be doing appropriations requests until really late at night in February. So we just think it's bullshit. Like, um, <laughs> Frank, Frank used to like, we, we would go at like, you know, after five or six, we'd go into Frank's office or we'd go, um, get with different partners and they, they didn't have early mornings. DC is not really an early morning place, but you work mm -hmm. into the night because it's the social and the relationship building is such a part of what you do. Yeah. So we'd go into Frank's office and have a drink. And we'd stay in Frank's office till like eight o'clock. And he would tell us stories and he would tell us about his process and his experiences. And Bill would tell us, Bill didn't really drink much, but, and Hunter didn't drink. And like they would tell us, but they would tell us stories. And we learned so much about old Washington and the way deals got cut and the, and the personalities of the members of Congress. And like, it was, I think it, um, we developed a real appreciation and understanding for leadership, how things get done for compromise, for understanding the process and the institutions. And it was a, it was a grueling, but I think a very romantic introduction to this world that I now live in that unfortunately has evolved away from a, um, from a making, making policy, making an art form. I think that's largely lost and it's really unfortunate. And I'm so grateful that in the early years of my career, we were exposed to that from some people who really knew how it was done. Mm. Um, and we came in right around the Abramoff scandal too. So we were here at a time when lobbying was a four letter word. It still kind of is. Um, but where the, the, the game was really changing. It's really interesting. The way that you talk about politics is exactly how I romanticize about politics. Um, the time that I was really falling in love with TV politics and, you know, 2000, obviously the, the 2000 election. Um, I can remember sitting up late at night waiting for the results with Scott Ritter and in my, in my place. And like, wow, I don't think we're going to win her tonight. Like, you know, and, and I was like, I used to be a chat moderator for CNN. Like, this is stuff that was very... Wow. It, that was all from, like, my wrestling connections and all that. But, like, stuff that was very into as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old. Um, and and so that whole thing really sparked, like... And when I say, like, you know, earlier, like, I kind of stand for for some, your lifestyle because when I, when I would see that stuff, I would just go, Oh God. And, and it reminds me like, there's two things. There's three things in life that like I, I romanticize about one being wrestling, of course, the other being like Hollywood, but the third being politics. 
And so when you talk about the political atmosphere and dealing with these people and like when you talk about Joe Biden and, and just the, the, the ability to be exposed to these people and these minds and, and for things to go either the way that you thought they would or the way that they wouldn't at such a young age is such an intriguing atmosphere for me to imagine to just be able to absorb. I only got to do it with wrestling. It's the only atmosphere I truly, truly got to engulf in. But that's, I mean, to do any of your goals, like how cool is that to, but, to, to do that? But no one ever wonders in life 20 years from now about like the mindset of Vince McMahon when he was doing the, the Undertaker edge feud. You know, so like it's not a it's not a thing that outside of, you know, a few million people at the best will ever want to retrospect on. But okay, Brad, the converse of that is that people always want to corner me at social functions and tell me their political opinions. People mm. hate politics, right? People um think that lobbyists are horrible. And that what we do is super horrible and corrupt. And like, I don't, you know, I, I think that um, there are different shades of lobbying, shall we say. Um, but I, there are like, people hate Washington. They hate politicians. They hate politics. They hate the other party. They hate lobbyists. And they think that everything's corrupt. And while that hasn't tracked with my experience, I'm not one of those people that's been in Washington for so long that I'm so enamored with what we do that I've completely lost sight of how absurd it must seem to a lot of people who are going about their daily lives. And like the bottom line is like, it's weird when you do something that a lot of people talk about or think about, but they don't have time to dedicate their entire day to specializing in it. Because at the end of the day, as a resident of Washington, D.C., my opinion is less relevant than any resident in Pennsylvania, no matter how much they give a shit. As long as they vote, if you live in Pennsylvania, if you vote in Pennsylvania, your vote and your perspective and your opinion is worth way more than mine as a voter in Washington. Mm -hmm. So I respect the hell out of that because that's what democracy is, but it is not so glamorous to live in this world and like a lot of times it actually sucks like I love what I do and I the quality of life in Washington like it's a great it's a great life like we're really happy here we have great friends we have great community no one thinks about that they think about the Capitol or the White House like we have a life and a lot of our friends work outside of politics like we have a completely different you know life like that's our jobs um, it can be consuming. Like I wake up and read Politico or read like the news rags while I'm brushing my teeth in the morning because your knowledge and your like up to date information is your currency here. And like, so it can be all consuming at all hours, but, um, that aside, like it is not house of cards here. Okay. If anything, it's Veep. I have now lived in D.C. I moved here in 2001. So I have now lived in D.C. for longer than I've lived anywhere else, more than half of my lifetime. 
I never thought I'd be a lifer. I still think about exit strategies for how do we get back to the Philly area? Cause that will always be home. Um, and it's such a beautiful area where we grew up. Like it's so beautiful. And it's so, like, I think it's so special. I think where we went to school was so special. I, I would move back if I had the right opportunity and Dave and I had the right opportunity in a heartbeat, but, um, we, we like, we love it here. Mm. We really do. Um, do you, I mean, you do have a relation obviously because I've zoomed with you and, and your friends on yeah. you know, from high school, but what's your relationship like now that you're out of the area with people from high school? Um, you know, one of the things that has been one of the few things that has been like a bright spot in the coronavirus quarantine has been doing more zooms and reconnecting with my high school girlfriends because we don't like talk every day, but we stay in pretty, you know, we stay in contact and like, depending on what's going in our lives, going on in our lives, sometimes it's more frequent than other times, but it has been nice to have that like excuse to take a minute and reconnect more because we're all busy. But um, it's like the same love is forever. Like it's super, you know, it's easy. Like to, I wish I saw them more frequently and I get, you know, a little jealous of the ones who stayed local still get to see each other. Their kids get to see each other. But like, I, I feel like a lot of things, have it changed when we get together we have so much fun um now we talk a lot about your, your podcast but we have like a lot just generally that we reminisce over and our vibe is the same you know like we just we just have a lot of fun and we like um love each other and like have a deep, deep you know they're the people like we'll always be there you know when big things happen and yeah um and you've I got a two-year-old I have a two-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like into parenthood and all that now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm figuring, figuring out that, you know, I, of my friends from Wissahick and I feel like I was pretty, I was one of the later ones to get married and have kids. Um, so some of my friends have like big kids and multiple kids and, you know, um, I'm still kind of a novice at the whole parenting thing, but uh, it's definitely changed our lives. Like it's definitely changed my identity in a lot of ways. Oh. Um, but it's, it's been great. Like my daughter is super cool. Uh, she's, she's just, she's everything to me. Like she's awesome. She's awesome. So yeah. So I'm a parent and I had to figure out the work life balance and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm good. So yeah, my like, uh, like in DC. Yeah, I like DC a lot. Um, I really do. So after I left the Obama administration, I went to work in trade. So I do I do trade policy, and I work for farmers. Mm. Um, I was working corn or something, right? Yeah, yeah. I was working. At, at U.S. Department of Agriculture in the Obama administration. I came into it. Um, so my dad has a little bit of an agriculture background, but I'm obviously like, I've grown up in the suburbs forever. Um, I did not grow up on a farm, but I, I came into it from the food security angle. Um, I've always been, you know, 
you know, I, I talked a little bit about like what inspired me to go work to like study international affairs and wanting to help um, provide a voice to people that didn't have a voice, right? And in um, agriculture is at the root of a lot of like economic transformation mm. um, and improving the quality of life for people around the world. So as I got involved in in agriculture or in um, food security and economic development, um, agriculture was a real commonality in terms of global development and what has like the potential to transform lives because so many um, emerging economies are still very agrarian in nature. And so I started working on those issues and I got to working with farmers in the U.S. And um, I guess we were strange bedfellows, but I think I, I it kind of, you know, got under my skin. I, I love working with farmers. I love um, food. I love our, our food system and understanding the issues that like at the end of the day, we have every reason why people around the world should have access to affordable food and to good nutrition. And it's, it's like, ultimately it's supply chain logistics, political will and policy that they don't like we have more than 800 million people around the world who are food insecure. Mm. And we have an alarming rate of food insecurity in the U S is the richest country in the world. And that's just not right. Um, and and so when I was at USDA, like I, I came there with an intention of continuing to work on food security. And I did, but I worked on domestic policy issues. I worked on, um, I developed a lot of relationships with farmers. Um, I worked on, and I worked on food security and I worked on trade issues and um, have continued to, to work on trade. And, and trade is another, another mechanism for, you know, getting food, getting commodities to people that need it to, um, and to making products more affordable and accessible. So um, it's been an interesting path. I don't think I ever could have like predicted where it would go. I have no idea where it's going to go, but um, I feel like if I can help people and if I can continue to challenge myself to learn more and different things, then like I'm pretty, I'm pretty lucky to get to wake up and do that every day. That's awesome. That's why I stand you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I feel the same way. Like I got to just like talk about things like that. Yeah. Kind of fight for things that like I find exciting and motivational. That is the dream. So far, other than wrestling, I haven't been able to to do anything in my life that's that I felt that way about. Yeah, but you're doing this podcast and for yes. that I Dan, you. <laughs> yes, currently in this in this quarantine, podcasting and learning about people's lives that I grew up with is is the thing that I'm passionate about. So I'm going to read your 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 uh, your yearbook here, your activities, just to make sure there's nothing. Oh yeah, tell me what I did in high school. <laughs> so you got softball nine through twelve, key mm-hmm. club eleven through twelve, varsity club eleven through twelve. Health Careers Club, 11 through 12. What's that? I don't know, but I will. Wait, I have two fun facts that I'm remembering now. I was a Red Cross certified AIDS, HIV peer educator in high school. So I think that was health careers. And I got to go into health classes and show freshman boys how to put condoms on bananas and embarrass the shit out of them. And I got great joy out of that. And I also... um, 
did future business leaders of America. I don't know if that was in there, mm. but I like want to yeah. consider it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I want to computer right. applications uh, contest. <laughs> yeah. So FBLA, 12th grade. Ooh, e- Welch. <laughs> AIDS HIV peer educator. Mm-hmm. Indoor track for 11. One year. Junior class committee. Oh. And stars for 11. What stars? Is that where you watch Power? I do watch Power, but no. Or I did watch Power. The stereotype of, of Leslie Weber McNitt in my head watches Power and listens. No, you know I watch Power because I messaged you about it on Instagram. On the stereotype. Listen, you're listening to Ghetto Superstar by Maya and Praz. You're also watching Power. <laughs> That's pretty on brand. <laughs> Playing that fight. <laughs> it's pretty on brand. But, but I mean, you know, again, the sad part of me is that I can't have anyone sign the picture, but that's you. I gotta be honest, I think it looks pretty dead on. Hey, what do you mean you can't have anyone sign it? Oh, because I can't sign it? Yeah, because normally yeah. at the end of this podcast, I would say, okay, sign the yearbook. And then I know, Brad. But so, like, we'll have to. <laughs> In the future, we'll have to meet up in person. Yeah. We'll have to sign this for me. Because I'll take my yearbook out of the basement and you can sign mine. Yeah, I will do that. I didn't sign okay. anything. No one asked me to sign their yearbook. I didn't sign anybody's. Oh, I hope that you're in there just to like. No, you're not in there. No, no, no. You're. Fr- I would be a freshie for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, you had your, your Lauren Hill quote and then you uh, to mom, daddy. Oh. Yeah. Mayor, Emmy. Mer, my sister, Marissa, uh-huh. and Emmy. Mm-hmm. Emmy, KP. You have a lot of names in here. This Kim is Pace. All- Kim Pace, JP. It could have been my boyfriend. Ooh. MM, Melissa Morgantan. Yeah. PC, Tara Cooper Smith. Yeah. LB. Lindsay Barley. K.A. Karen Applebaum. Yep. Gotta, keep it, gotta keep it tight with the tribe. <laughs> K.S. Chrissy Shock. Yeah. C.B. That was my girl. C.B. Probably Chrissy Benedict. L.W. Well, I would think that was you. Probably Leah Wanger. Oh, yeah. That's why right. people said L.W. squared was for both of us. Fellow Triber. Yeah, of course. B.S. Bethany. Bethany. Yeah. N.K. Natalie Cooner. We yeah. got a lot in here. I Look, I told you. H.G. Heather Goodwin. Oh, you're good at this. R.L. R.L. Rita Lewis. Of course. Of course. A.C. Alicia Conti. Of course. My bestie. Yeah, well, you know, I had her first. Listen. But- we watch you together, all right? We watch you and we text oh. each other. Oh, that is intimate. Yeah. All right, all right. All right. Uh, RM. Wait, P.S. Alicia's going to be so excited that you just called her your bestie. When she yeah. Oh, that's our, that's our thing. It's, it's not a fake. It's not a fake terminology. We're besties. We um, our, RM is Rachel Moidel, another, another member of the tribe. 
And of course, a top crush of mine, AO, Adrian O'Connor. Yeah. Yeah, AO. And then uh, thank you all, Jimmy. I love you. That was my boyfriend. So who is? JP. I have to think. Oh, Julia Preston. Oh, duh. Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. I love you, 143 BFF. 143 BFF was our, you know, pager code. Oh. Yeah, all the girls, we still like, we joke about that. 143 was I love you in pager code. So that was our like, <laughs> that was our code. Was the four an L? Is that? No, um, the numbers of the letters and the words. So I is one, four, love is four letters, and you is three letters. One, four, three. See, yeah. I, never, I never had a girlfriend in, yeah. in high school to know stuff like that. So I it was like the basic high school white girl equivalent of a gang sign was like one for three. <laughs> the opposite of one eight seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was well, like a it was like a pinky swear, but for your pager. <laughs> was there anything in this fuck six hours, Leslie, that I haven't asked you about in in what might have been my dream podcast? Am I like, are we setting a record for your longest podcast? This might be the longest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, you set the record. Yeah. You, you want it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I am a super fan. I feel like this is only right. Mm. Um, I think we like answered all your routine questions about like, Favorite class, favorite teacher, extracurriculars. I didn't ask you your favorite movie. League of Their Own. Oh, League of Their Own. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that by and large, like people are doing well. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I'm glad you're doing well. Thanks, man. And when this whole thing like lessens and and you get your travel back on. We're going to meet up and I'm going to come with my, with my yearbook and say, sign this. Deal. That was Leslie Mignett. Leslie is really sharp and was game to talk about literally everything with me at great length. Um, I really appreciated Leslie's view on grades and the pressure to be both social slash viewed as attractive and academic. I hadn't really heard that point of view And I've been talking about it with other friends since this conversation. It's just opened up an aspect of growing up that I never really saw before. And something else that really resonated with me was Leslie's desire to not be viewed as just as someone who works in Washington. And I think I'm definitely guilty of letting my job define who I am to the masses. And the way Leslie talked about defining that as her job, not as her life. It felt like a wake-up call to me. I don't know what it's a wake-up call for, but it just was profound. Like I said, Leslie and I talked about almost everything. We seriously talked for like 30 minutes just about East Coast hip-hop. So I wanted to try to make this conversation as digestible as possible for everyone listening out there. But I think some of this extra footage is going to make its way up on YouTube.com slash RedshirtPlaya. It's too good. (laughs) WWF in HS on Facebook. We weren't friends in high school on Instagram. I am at Redshirt Playa everywhere. In two weeks, 
my guest will be Javier Marquis. Javier is the guy that everyone must pay their respects to when they go down to Miami. A few classmates have already mentioned seeing Javier in their Florida travels, but now we'll get to hear how Javier himself ended up down there. It's not really what I thought at all. This is really going to be an eye-opening conversation for me because I didn't know Javier personally. I think I knew his older sister, Nicole, a bit better because we were both involved in musicals in middle school. So we will learn about his take on life, his friends and hobbies, and the inspiration, as Javier describes it, that he felt he was looking for in high school. We'll also learn about Javier's family, being biracial, and how old he was when he was first confronted with being biracial. I thought it was really, really interesting. And Javier's going to tell us about what he's doing now and how it's taken him all around the world. Might make you a little envious. So that is in two weeks on a Monday morning with We Weren't Friends in High School 206. All right, that is it for me. Thanks again to Leslie. And I will see everyone in two weeks on a Monday morning with my guest, Javier Marquis. Later. <laughs>